The following podcast is proudly brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use the link in the description and use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen. And also use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off windows, keys, and die shrink to get 3% off everything else on the website at cdkeyoffer.com. Now on with the show. Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I am joined for the third time by who is, at least for, I think, most of our fans, a fan favorite. I know the first one you were on was one of the most popular ones of that year, if not the most popular one we've ever done, like more videos than even some of the more popular shorter videos I do. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've been on a few times. I think people should really go back and watch the previous episodes with you, but I'll let you introduce yourself anyways now, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who haven't heard us talk yet because it's been over a year. You know, tell people who you are. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, so uh, it's Michael from NX Gamer, so you may or may not have seen my channel, so I tend to do a lot of um, game technical hardware analysis on software development, graphics, visual effects, consoles is predominantly what I work in um, in terms of analysis, but yeah, I've been doing this now for coming on eight years nine years now since i started so fundamentally what i like to do is try and look at games from a different perspective you know not all about negativity and what why it's difficult to make games and how games work and why things happen the way they do why sometimes you know a lot of the conversations has been known in this, this gen has been around why series x performing the way it is why is ps5 um i, I kind of did a video on that early on but we'll get into that in the wider discussion but yeah it's all around Hopefully, and again, I was trying not to sound arrogant, educating people on the fundamentals <laughs> of software development. It's very complicated, and uh, it's a big passion for me. So, yeah, that's that's fundamentally what I do. So if you like my stuff, check out my channel. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean, I happen to know personally, you know, that you really do work within kind of the greater software gaming semiconductor industry. So not only are you good at testing and at the very least learning how to test these things, but you also seem to be truly well-informed from your personal life and education as well. And you don't just apply that to console testing, but also you know plenty about PC hardware as well, which I find, I find rare. I find a lot of channels only know about PC gaming, underestimate the consoles, or they tend to just overestimate the consoles and know very little about PC hardware. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I think it's a big part of my livelihood. So, yeah, I mean, I've worked in that environment for years. So I've been a software developer, network engineer before, um, well, God, 90s now, working for, you know, banks and infrastructure and private sector, public sector. So, yeah, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I, I manage teams a lot more than I do hands-on work now, but I still keep my hands in the game. Um, in terms of hardware and, and you know, setting up servers and, and building a data centers and all that kind of good stuff. A lot of the technology is the same. It's just how you utilize it and what you focus it on. So um, a lot of the things that we discuss in the game world is exactly the same as it is in, you know, the 
the commercial world, when you're making brand new development, you're putting in a new SAN or a new ERP, or you're building something from scratch, you tend to have all these same problems, which is bugs, issues, driver configurations, implementation, getting it to balance well across multiple servers. So there's a lot of things that I can apply in the real world. And obviously, as you quite rightly said, testing is a big part. I would love to get my hands on the uh, the software development kits and the the tools hmm. that PS4 and Xbox have, you know, the PIX tool and stuff, that would be amazing. But uh, PC space is getting much better. You've got a lot of options now with uh, Intel, NVIDIA, and, and even AMD. A lot of the the tools that they deliver now, and certainly Render Man and stuff, is really good in terms of allowing you to get under the hood of what games do. So I do like digging into that kind of stuff a lot more. Yeah, and it's funny you say, like, it all kind of is the same stuff. That's something I've always found as well. I think, and I still think most people underestimate it, even though I keep harping about this, like, you know, what's in the consoles is fairly similar to what's in PCs for the most part. I mean, there are obviously aspects of their designs where you kind of just got to go, well, when that happens, that's not how it works on PC. So yet I look at that completely differently. But like, I always found it hilarious, like people guessing what performance would be. I mean, specifically, actually, it was funniest for me with the PS4 and Xbox One, because I'm like, guys, we know how this is going to perform. Go look at, like, the 7870, clock the core a little lower, clock the memory faster, there's your PS4. Like, that's that's it. Like, And if you actually compared it to most games, I think people think that consoles are always more optimized, and they usually are, but usually optimization means... They know exactly how much VRAM to use. They know that that texture in the distance should be lower res to fit within the buffer. They know that, oh, we can just barely hit 60 frames if we turn the foliage down slightly below medium, but we turn this up slightly above high for what it is on PC. It's rarely something like magically more performance. And I think when you compare console to PC games, a lot of the times if you really try, you can basically get them to perform fairly similar to what their PC equivalent is as well and and you've usually been able to be one of the rare channels i think that points that out you know and 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 at least for me i think yours is the most reproducible results of the testing you do yeah uh, because i think a lot of channels don't actually have results that are reproducible they just put something on youtube and everyone just assumes it's perfect you know yeah exactly um and i think that's you did hit me on the head there in terms of Hardware isn't drastically different. You know, they're not making brand spanking new chips. They're not using completely different silicon. They're not configuring things in different ways. I mean, memory controllers, memory, all that kind of elements are the same. So it's all around, as you quite rightly say, optimization kind of has two levels. It's it's around how can you tweak it so that you get the best out of the hardware you've got so you don't swamp the bandwidth, you don't overload the ALUs, you don't, you know, overload the cores or the single thread or whatever it might be that's causing limitations. You you reduce certain jobs, you, you do things at, at staggered points, you just maximize the clock cycle. And then the other part, which is predominantly massive studios and certainly first party, is you literally bespoke your engine to utilize certain functions and processes that are better on that particular hardware, which you could do just as equally well on a PC if you said, I'm going to make a game that just runs on one particular vendor's card and one make, one model, one configuration. So you have to have all these things the same as me, and it'll work perfectly. But obviously that's not viable. So I think that's one part that's, as you quite rightly call out, people make tests online on other channels or other sites and then they put it out there and it's like i got this therefore that's the truth and it's like it's not and it might not even be repeatable and one of my big bugbears and one of the reasons why i do a lot of video all my stuff's video and there for you to see with the analysis is the fact that 
you'll get a lot of these charts in websites that will say this game runs at 58 frames per second this is 57 this is, it's like what scene were you using what was the settings where was the camera put all these kind of variables that but people will run with that as a as a benchmark when it doesn't feel like a benchmark because there's nothing to back it up. It's just statements, just numbers on a page. So, yeah. And they'll die on a hill, right? They'll be like, this card's stronger than that card because it got 5% more frames in one scene. Yeah. Like, what about the other scene, though? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't doesn't fit the narrative, which is a, a lot of a lot of the reason why a lot of these arguments appear. And I get them on my channel as well. Although, to be fair, it's quite good on my channel. The comments are usually very very good. But you do get some, and like you say, that from everyone, you get P PC fans, you get console fans that this game should be running at this level and it should be 4K 60 or 4K 120. And it's like, no, that's just look at the specs, man. It's it's not going to work. You turn ray tracing on, you run at high resolutions. All of these things have an impact. Nothing's in, invaluable. So it, it is always good to dig into it. And um, it's always it's always good, I think, to be completely unbiased, you know, just look at things factually. And, and that's what I do for my job. So it's not hard for me to do that in this sense because, you know, I've got no skin in the game. It's, these are just manufacturers of hardware and and you know games it's, it's good it's great it's all exciting but i don't have a preference i just deliver the facts as they are well you know let, i want to bring this up too before we really start digging in through some of the discussion points it was something i was having a discussion with or at least i participated in a discussion on the moore's laws Dead discord last night where people were looking at what are supposedly leaked benchmarks of alchemist mobile cards you, you know next to i don't know a 1650 or something you know these are the random youtube channels that half the time you've never heard of that will just be called benchmark fest or something and they'll just show like in the they'll show a split screen and on the left supposedly you'll have a 1650 running gta 5 and on the right supposedly you have an alchemist intel graphics card running gta 5 and they show frame rates in the corner and a lot of people had to point started pointing out and then i backed them up like that's a fake channel and i know this because before the 6500 xt came out there were like three days before it did, there was a video supposedly showing the 6500 XT against a 590. It was like beating it most of the time by margins better than it even should in the games it does win. And I sent it to Steve at Hardware Unboxed, and I said, is this at all the results you're getting right now? And he goes, uh, no, that channel's 100% fake. And then we started looking through the channel, and it's like, I honestly think some of these channels don't even benchmark a single thing. I think they show gameplay footage and then they just fake the telemetry and fps in the corner put it get a five thousand views and i just i kind of just want to say that at the start of this as well that in many ways if for people who don't know i kind of describe your channel as a one-man digital foundry that like really i think does the best job of getting into how each piece of hardware performs in that kind of a manner i know you work with ign now too so you're getting recognized but go to people like you no one should pay attention to any of the random videos on YouTube that just show moving gameplay with a split screen and a supposed FPS in the counter because they have zero accountability for what's anything, anything they're doing. And I'm, I have it on good authority. Most of them are literally fake. I mean, they didn't get an Alchemist card before it came out. They didn't get a 6500 XT a week before it came out. They just made it up. Like, it's bad. I don't know if you've seen those channels. I've I've seen some of them. I don't, I don't I don't watch a lot of them, but yeah, I mean, as you say, it's all around getting views. It's very easy now. It's a popular market, you know. Even all the game publishers now are well aware that when they do review codes and stuff, they they specifically have sections around, you know, technical reviews and performance analysis. It's a big part of their. So it's now become such a big market that 
other people are just going to jump on the bandwagon. And like you say, there's a lot of ways to cheat and put things out there, and people just don't know what they're looking at, and they don't know if it's accurate or not. And I think fundamentally, there's there's only a handful of us that can. You know, there's Digital Foundry. There's another good guy called VG Tech. He's very good as well. Um, his frame rate analysis and stuff is very, uh, you know, accurate and well constructed. And I think there's there's my me with my tool. That's that's off the top of my head and the stuff we do with IGN. That's it. That's as that's as accurate as i could call out i'm not saying there isn't people that aren't that don't do it but mm-hmm. there's a well, lot yeah, we of can't possibly know everyone who exists but yeah 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 it's another one that i'm aware of and i think that um there's it, it's it's more than that i think the frame rate is one part of the conversation i think it's all around everything else because i think one of the big parts is people look at resolution and i've always said this about um you know it's not that important there's better ways to utilize those pixels and i think that we'll have that discussion in this chat but again it's all around understanding why things perform the way they do and obviously hopefully get, getting that information out there. But like you say, people want clicks, clicks equals money. So yeah, you do get a lot of fake stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, all right. So let me start digging into the actual discussion points we had laid out here. Um, Nami Daka writes in, he says, hi, Tom and NX gamer price performance has regressed to 2016 levels due to the shortages during the past two years. Well, so, I, and th- this is where I jump in ahead of time. I have a note here. I, 2016 levels in April of 2016, Pascal and Polaris weren't even out yet. Like, and by the end of the year, I remember the GTX 1080 selling for $800 during the holiday, which is a 1080. The 6600 XT is 500 or less right now, and around a 1080 Ti if you guys look it up. So, I don't know. I, I don't think things are as bad as 2016 price to performance levels at all, even if things could be better. But continuing his question, he goes, I know that no one can safely predict what will be the situation with COVID later this year. I also know that we expect prices to fall back around MSRP during the summer. At least it seems like Tom's thinks so. Look, I have many friends that have cards between a 1060 and a 5700 XT who have been looking to upgrade during the past two years, and I've told them to wait the whole time. Should they get a 3080 or a 6800 XT if their prices fall to MSRP, like around $700? Or should they wait for Lovelace and Navi 3X since we expect one this to be another one of the biggest leaps gen to gen over the past 10 years? I'm eager to think hear what you guys think about this question. Um, I... Well, I, I guess I'd let you go first for sure, Michael. Like, what, what do you? What would you recommend? It's a hard one to answer. I mean, it, it's all around whether or not you are desperate to upgrade from mm-hmm. what you've got now, what you're doing it for. So, if you've got a 1080p screen, then yeah, you know, wait. There's no point because you're not really going to gain any benefit from it. But if you're running a 4K screen, you want to, you know, have the latest features. You're into ray tracing, or you want to do something a little bit more useful with your card. Um, then yeah, g- get wait it out and try and wait for the newer cars that's what I, you you're always going to get better choice if you wait but it's like you you can set it forever you'll just wait for everything it's like once lovelace comes out and navi 3 out you just go okay when's navi 4 coming out when's the next nvidia car coming out so um i would certainly wait until the summer um because i think prices will drop mm-hmm. i think shortages are not going to go away anytime soon but um i think that we might get slightly better value when newer cards come out. You might end up seeing a few deals and then you can make a choice. Is it worth spending that extra $100, $200 on a newer card or getting a cheaper deal on a 3080 or a 6800 XT, which which you know is a great card. It's still good now. It's not going to go crap overnight. Um, you just will rely on things like DLSS and FSR more. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at the... At my core, the question hasn't changed from anything I've said almost ever, which is, do you need a card now 
for a specific level of performance, then I mean, it's better to buy now than it was before. Now, I couldn't have said that, I guess, right, from honestly, I think when you came on, it was the beginning of 2021, and I don't think reality had quite set in for everyone how bad these shortages are going to continue to be for an entire year. So I guess from early 2021 to, say, early March of this year, the answer would have maybe not been yes. But at the same time, the advice is always, do you need to upgrade now? Can you sell your old card for a good price if you get it? Even during the shortages, I kept telling people, there are some people getting cards for around MSRP. Just try to get one. And if you get one, you can sell your old one. But I guess that would kind of be my advice is, it's always it, from now on, it's just going to keep getting better, though. So if you've been waiting for a year and you're desperate, then I guess go for it. But just know that in a month, it's probably going to be $30 cheaper or something. But if you wanted to play it right now and you like again, like summer is coming soon or, you know, like, let's say you're like, oh, well, I'm going to be busy this fall. I have to play this summer. Then it's like, well, then who am I to tell you? To not upgrade, it's just keep in mind that prices are going to keep falling. AMD's got refresh cards coming out soon, then Alchemist, then Lovelace, then RDNA 3. So it's not like I, I can't promise shortages won't continue to a certain degree. I think they will, but I don't think we should expect them to get as bad as they were a year ago for a while. I, I don't know if you feel they're going to get crazy bad again, but I just I think it's very unlikely that probably people have learned some lessons by now. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great advice. I, I, just quickly, I, I don't think they'll get worse. They'll get definitely get better, simply because the demand's gone down a little bit. People aren't at home as much. People are back to work. People are doing... So all that time which was being used is now gone back. So I think it will be the best time to buy, like you say, but very accurately, it's, it's whether or not you can wait. If you can wait, you'll always get a better deal. But if you can't, buy it now and sell your old car when you can. Great advice. So... I want to bring this up, too, before we get into some of the other stuff. Um, have you followed any of the RDNA 3 or Lovelace leaks out there? I mean, at a minimum, where I'm coming from when I ask that is, I expect performance to roughly double in rasterization, probably a little more in ray tracing by the end of this year. And and I And so, again... Right, I don't think these cards at the top end are going to be cheap, but I have no reason to believe they're going to be twice as expensive as the previous MSRPs. But I think, I think if we have you know one thousand dollar cards twice as strong as what we have now, I think there's a good chance we're going to have graphics cards around as strong as I don't know, like a sixty seven hundred XT, a thirty sixty Ti, which is roughly what I would say the consoles perform like. I think we're going to have that level of performance, you know, down to. 300 to 400 bucks, you know, maybe at most once the entire lineup's rolled out. Now, that is a huge caveat. It's not like they're launching the whole lineup at once. The low end usually comes after the high end. But do you think this changes the value equation of the Xbox Series consoles and the PS5 at all? Because up until now, it's basically a PS5 performs as well as one whole graphics card if you're lucky. Usually the graphics cards were marked up more than they were their MSRP. Like what happens when we get graphics cards that are like two thirds, half the price of a console for the same performance? Do you think that changes some of the demand for them at all or not? Uh, I, I don't think for the PS5, no. I think the markets are still pretty split. Um, 
I think there'll be some drop-off. There always is when new technology comes in, when you've got brand spanking new PC hardware, people that are flipped over to PS5 because there's just more stuff coming out on that particular console, certainly first-party stuff, that impresses in terms of the quality of stuff you're getting on the console. But by the time this comes out at the end of the year, then, yeah, you might get some that flip back or just keep their PS5. I don't think they'll rush to lower the prices of the PS5 or Series X at all. I think the value is still going to be there. They're still going to be competing with the same, you know, technology predominantly and um, what you'll probably find is that you'll get a lot of um games on p on ps5 and series x that you know will rely on uh, upscaling techniques and reconstruction mm-hmm. techniques and lower resolutions and you'll see that delta creep back in again much more than you see now you'll see you know games that can run 4k all the ray tracing on without dlss with you know that that'll be the the solution that comes out and that'll give pc the bragging rights and it's always had that you know i've been around long enough to see it go back and forth I think this is been one of the closest console generations at the start that we've seen for a mm-hmm. while. Not always, but for a while. Certainly much closer than the last one. Um, it's just, I think everything else going on with the shortages and the development and the pandemic and everything else has just made this leap, which was always going to come, that little bit longer. I, I have seen some of the leaks. I've certainly seen yours because I think you've got a lot of good information. Um, and I think, you know, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility to see double rasterization performance. The question is whether or not it's worth the hike in, in cost when, when, by their own admission, everybody is now jumping on the reconstruction bandwagon, which is let's use our hardware more productively and get more out of it, which mm-hmm. means you either choose resolution or you choose frame rates, you know, or, or a combination thereof. So that'll be interesting to see what happens to the PC market with this constant demand to push performance up. All of a sudden when you've got options that, are sometimes better than native solutions that give you higher performance and maybe even higher settings. Are they going to rush and spend another thousand pounds to do the same thing at 4K that they can do at 1800p or 1620p? Yeah, I'll be interested to see what happens on review sites for that as well. That's my yeah, and I'm not even sure they're really fully util. I mean, I know they're not right. Ninety percent of these games aren't fully utilizing the consoles either, so. And and I think I think like what you said, are people just going to go rush out and spend you know six hundred dollars to get something maybe you know fifty percent stronger than the consoles or something? I, I don't know. It's it's interesting how much this conversation kind of turns into what do people really want? Because I think it's I've never seen such a polar. I I think there's like two big discussions I keep seeing around consoles and PC performance right now, which you have. One group that like really looks, oh, look at this one game. Like Dying Light Two is a good example of where it runs like crap on the consoles compared to this specific PC here. But then you have most people going, eh. I, there's a big group of people that is like, you know, games look fine, you know. And I, and I do wonder how. And I think people just to like kind of touch on the Lovelace and RDNA three pricing thing. It's like I think there is a acute awareness that is going to happen pretty soon between nvidia and at least amd where they realize just because we've added two or four times more performance doesn't mean people care anymore if every game is running above 1440p 60 right and if the consoles can just keep doing that i think for the price i think a lot of people are going to continue to buy them i mean they for the record they still can't keep the consoles in stock at all or at least the ps5 they can't Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and I think that's the point that 
The differentiator between PC has always been its power. It's always been its ability to scale. It's always been its ability to do things that weren't available before. You know, you had all the, the DX9, DX10 pipelines, the programmable shaders. I mean, you know, the Xbox 360 beat them there. But it, it, fundamentally, that took hold early on. That's what PC needs. Ray tracing is a a path into that. There's obviously a lot of stuff that's mm. been done by smaller communities, a lot of path tracing stuff with older games. I've just been recently looking at Doom path traced, uh, and that's quite a weird mix with old and new, but I think that's where PC could really win out um, because at the moment, as good as PS5 and Series X are in terms of their ray tracing abilities, that they're, they're they're very mediocre compared to what's possible on mm. PC. And I think everyone knows that. That's always going to be a limitation. And I think that's where the PC will really win out if somebody somewhere makes a, a very forward-thinking game or, and I've always said this, I'd love, I'd love to do this. Um, if I had the time myself, I'd probably have a go, but to do a path trace of an older game, but not something of mm-hmm. Doom or Quake's age, something a little newer, something a little simpler, PS1, maybe even PS2 era, but fully path trace it, you know, do something that's really groundbreaking on the PC space that would reinvigorate that market as a as a leader i think that's where pc needs to go to differentiate i think other than that you're going to see a lot of people going do you know what i don't need to spend a thousand pound to get a few more peas it's not worth it yeah um let me this kind of starts leading into the next section of questions then kunahoon 25 writes and he says hey tom and nx as a console gamer that recently got into pc gaming i'm still intrigued with what the consoles can do after seeing the demon souls remake it seems every ps5 game i've played after that pales in comparison when it comes to graphics and performance hopefully soon by 2023 they will start making games only for ps5 or at least with that in mind and we can truly see next-gen gaming when it comes to the mid-gen refresh for the ps5 and the xbox series x i don't know i think they should put a full 6900 xt into it this is more than enough performance to play any game at 4k 120 if they adjust with dynamic resolution especially fsr 2.0 also they should put 32 gigabytes of ram at least 24 or at least 24 gigabytes and maybe increase the core counts a bit on the cpu and add a two terabyte nvme uh, since nvme ssds are becoming pretty cheap they actually are i just got one for a benchmarking station i'm shocked it they just dropped in price by like half in one year so this will be able to stay relevant then when rdna4 and lovelace x and celestial come out and i do want to start talking about like what we would expect out of a pro console here because i'm going to be honest i think maybe a little more ram and a much stronger gpu but i don't think they're going to add any more cores right and i think maybe they'll double storage specifically on the ps5 but that's about it i don't think they need a full 2 terabytes i think they go to like whatever it would end up being right it was a 1.6 or something or like do you agree like do you think they would add 12 cores or go to 32 gigabytes no in a short way um I, the thing about the any any addition or extension to the current market is you you're going to split your market and and for specifically for sony that's something mm-hmm. that they're very careful about, quite rightly so. The last thing you want to do is split your, your your market share for two reasons. One, you don't want everyone to feel begrudged that they got screwed over because they bought a PS5 and two years later, here's this brand spanking new PS5 Pro and it can do ray tracing much better and it's got twice the speed and, and all these kind of things. So they've got to balance it out. But also, development side, they've got to think about the developer. Anything they do has to be the least amount of disruption to the development mm-hmm. cycle. So that what Kil- Kinney Hunt comes up with here is a good point around hopefully by 2023, which is true. But those games have been in development for the past three years, maybe more. So anything that they yeah. do now or in the future has to be easily scalable for whatever has been designed and they're going to work through. So that means cores would probably not 
change. Frequencies could very, very easily, but probably not core. Certainly, probably most likely wouldn't change RAM allocation because, again, that just creates more complexity and it means they'd be eating into their possible, you know, optimization stage in terms of downscaling it back from the development kit back into the deliverable. So I think that NVMe size, absolutely, they could bump that up. Core, absolutely bump that up uh, in terms of speeds. They could probably bump up the, the speed potentially or even the ALU units inside the single GPU. Whether they do, I don't know, because I think their biggest win wouldn't be around doing that over and above improving ray tracing if that mm. becomes a big ticket item. It still needs to catch on, I think, above what it's got. But I'm I'm still not convinced that we're going to get pro models. Um, I think it's, uh, Xbox will, but then uh, Xbox kind of can do what they want now because whatever they sell is just a path into their Game Pass. So... There's mm-hmm. probably less likelihood that they would do it unless Sony do because it's just competition for them. So it's a weird one. Um, I, I feel less inclined for a pro model of this generation than last generation. That's for sure. But I, I don't. I'm not saying I know anything. That's not. It's not based on any fact. Right. And I guess I've always heard that Sony didn't want to do a pro. Well, I know they didn't for the PS4. They just thought it was common sense. Um, And then for the PS5, I've heard that they really didn't want to do it, but... Today's video is brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com. As I put together a new benchmarking station for 2022, I know that whether it's running Windows 10 or Windows 11, I'll be getting that key from CDKeyOffer.com. And that's because it's a reliable, long-term sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead that gets you reasonable prices on legitimate keys for these types of products but it's really not all that they offer they also can give you keys for microsoft office uh keys for playstation codes and even some of the latest pc releases like elden ring a game that i'm enjoying quite a bit whatever you need cd key offer probably has you covered and they're always running sales but make sure you use the best code possible and that's the ones provided for the moore's law is dead fans moore's law is dead fans get the biggest discount and if you go to the the link on screen or in the description you can use code broken silicon to get 25% off microsoft products and dyshring to get 3% off everything else on the website using these codes really does help moore's law is dead and it helps you play reasonable prices for games that you want in keys that frankly you just have to use half of the time so again use the link in the description use broken silicon use dyshring depending on the products you're getting and pay reasonable prices for keys today at cdkeyoffer.com uh, Falto writes and he says, hello, Tom, you mentioned how Sony was thinking about doing a PS5 Pro, but in a recent Broken Silicon, you also mentioned how they might have scrapped that idea. So right now, in your opinion, what's most likely to happen? I personally wish we don't have a PS5 Pro or PS6 coming sooner so we don't have another long gen that's justified for a decade. I'd like a PS6 sooner. Love both your content. I actually really listening to the old episodes with NX Gamer from 2020, uh, and I'm really glad that he's back now. Um, all right, so... Yeah, I guess what I can say is, and I think I conveyed this, like, I don't think, I I think I said, you know, when the console generation came out that everyone I asked said Sony really doesn't want to do a pro, but all I can say is, um, without getting into too much deal detail is, you know, someone that I know can, who's worked on the consoles and who would know, um, specifically what's being designed, you know, someone who's gotten me a lot of the architectures that I've leaked before other ones, you know, I'm talking about, you know, like 
you know, things like Bergamo or something like this guy knows what he's talking about. He, he he's, he's an engineer who knows what he's talking about. Basically said that at the very least, they're both designing something like now will they come out? He couldn't promise. But at the very least, there were rough plans put together for at least the series consoles and the PS5 console. Now, what's interesting is since this is years ago or I was it years ago by now? Who knows? This is months ago, more than months ago. Um, I was talking to someone else I know connected to AMD who said, who's a similar type of person who really does know what he's saying, who is trying to make it clear to me that no one should double down on them coming out. That just because things are designed does not mean they release. And so it's interesting to have those two points of view. I have another person who says that he really just thinks Xbox, at least at first, is going to do six nanometer refreshes. Um, at the end of the day, and I'll be going on another podcast soon, um, Sacred Symbols, to talk about this as well. Like, I think what is the interesting discussion right now is what's the best choice? Because to answer Falto's question, I think that they haven't made their decision yet. And they really don't need a lock in. They don't need a lock in an elaborate design for that they've already kind of sketched out for another year or two. Or they've about a year to think it over because it's not coming out until 2023 anyways. At the earliest, maybe even 2024. And any six nanometer die shrink refresh, they can kind of make that decision less than a year before it happens. They'd have to move quickly, but they can. And I think the interesting discussion right now is which one should they do? Because, and, and I'm really, I am curious what you think about that, Michael, because I think there's two clear paths to a refresh that Sony can do here. And it, one of them I've thought of, I don't think I've heard many people talk about is, there's all these rumors about a six nanometer die shrink of the console to make it a little smaller, a little you know more efficient. Like I don't see why they couldn't, because six nanometer is design compatible with seven nanometer, or at least close. Why they couldn't just do a slight die shrink to six nanometer, leave all forty cores enabled uh, or forty compute units enabled, and then clock it a bit faster, overclock the CPU. You know, by the time the end of this year, we're gonna have GDDR6 out. That's I think up to twenty seven gigabit. PS5 is 24. I mean, we're looking at almost doubling bandwidth if you just use the most expensive RAM. I think there's a real argument to be made that what Sony could do is just take the 40 compute unit fully enabled 6 nanometer yields, give it way faster RAM, clock it a little faster. And hey, most games use dynamic resolution anyway. So there you go. This is the pro. It's like 40% stronger overall. And now every game's locked 4K60 or something. And then they just, any any uh, yield that can't have 40 enabled or clock fast enough, they just disable that to the PS4 Slim or PS5 Slim. Um, I think they can do that, or they can do what I've heard they were thinking of doing in two years, launch some big five nanometer console for, you know, $600 that is over twice as strong. But I mean, I'm curious what you think. Which option do you think is the better option? I think the most likely option is the first one. So a, a die shrink will, will absolutely be, you know, makes business sense, makes practical sense. And it's always happened. It's never not happened. It always happens because it means you get more out of your, your yield. You get better performance rates. You get, you know, less temperature problems and longer life. And there's nothing There's nothing bad to come from that as an option. Um, I think that will happen at some point. I think the design will be a key point. I think there's, there'll be things that they'll tweak. In terms of the other option, in terms of going full on and doubling performance and power, like I say, I, I think it's... it's uh, it's perfectly viable, and just to back up what you said earlier, and I know this firsthand, is, yeah, things are always being made internally. Things are always being R&D. There's always, that always happens, but doesn't 
just because it's made and even prototype doesn't mean it's going to come out it, you've got to try these things teams have to do it and there's a lot of money spent in r&d certainly in sony and a lot of other companies that will just disappear into the ether so i'm sure they're looking at the options there and i think market forces will dictate but again they've also got to take into account shortages you know if they can't get hold of the silicon what's the point in launching a brand a brand new console at four nanometer or five nanometer that's that's twice the performance levels or you know twice the the cus on there and everything else has been bumped up to hell and it might perform up with top of the range pc cards out now uh, who's going to buy that when, when they're charging you know potentially another 200 quid on top of the price now that they know they're going to sell more of the 400 pound unit and their market is in about getting you into their wall garden and into their games that's the point so chasing the performance power isn't sony's thing they, they, they tend to have it but that's around intelligent choices and guessing the market well again ram's mm-hmm. another good one and ram's important you're nail on the head there ram is massively important people still under it and uh, the ssds are there just for that you know replacement of ram if you asked any developer they'd say give me a complete cache that i just speak to and write everything to cache and don't even bother with ram that would be perfect for them but ssds are just that compromise to get to that point so the more ram they can have the better but the ram's expensive it costs a fortune as you know well I, you know i'm not even sure in my hypothetical six nanometer you know i would say the lazy way to give more performance or really the more cost effective way to give more performance I don't even think they'd add more RAM. I just think it'd be faster. And actually, like uh, I have one next to me, a 6500 XT that I'm testing. This has 18 gigabit per second memory. And right now people are talking about that like that's so fast. And when I ask people, they're like, I actually had one person say that they're not even sure if they really make below 16 gigabit anymore, that most of the 14 and 16 gigabit you see is actually downclocked now if it comes out of Samsung mm. from their higher yields. They're only making faster RAM. So it is an interesting question, though. The price becomes pretty close to the same eventually, like five, 10 cents more per gigabyte or something, like, like really that little between some of these memory speeds, actually. And if that's where we're at about now. I mean, I just wonder if by the end of the year, we I think it seems like they're going to at least die shrink the PS5 down to 6 nanometer. Might they not as well make one version of it have double the storage and maybe 50% faster memory right there just so in dynamic resolution games you get 20% higher frame rates? I don't I, especially if they could do that before any Xbox refresh comes out. Um I, I just feel like at least the, at a minimum that would cost them almost nothing to do. You, do you see what I mean? It, it would, except for they've got you've got to factor in the testing strategies they've got to fit, fit into this. Everything you do with with something like a console or even software, you have to do all that balance and validation of the quality you're putting out there. So if they decide to up clock this, and they could, they could absolutely you know bump up speeds, bump up core speeds, even use all forty cores. There might be a knock-on effect on some titles, depending on how they're developed. That's got to be factored in to any profit margin mm-hmm. they're going to make. And they... Well, I think there's no doubt, right, they would probably have some flag on the console that if it can tell the game wasn't programmed for it ahead of time, it just runs in backwards compatibility PS5 base mode and disables four compute units or something. Yeah, again, and, and that's exactly it. But that takes time and effort. Someone's got to put that in unless you put the toggle in the menu, which they've done before, which they obviously they did on the Pro. So there's definitely a very easy path to market that they've got. And and I'm sure internally these decisions are going on. I'm sure there's absolutely somebody there going, well, mm-hmm. ah, we can get away with this, we can do this, we can tweak this, we can cut this down, this will work faster. So 
I, I, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. I think it's perfectly viable. And if they did come out with the PS5 Pro, I would not be surprised by that at all. Um, but I would equally not be surprised by them coming out with a PS5 that's just smaller, neater, tidier, slightly different design, and is exactly the same, in quotes, to the user as the current model. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's all around where they are as a market and what they can supply, and and whether or not they need to claw back any you know cost of manufacture. Which I, you know that I'm sure they've had a very expensive time, like everyone at the moment. A lot of the hassles has cost people money more than they planned. Well, so that's actually. An interesting thing, because one 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 thing that was mentioned to me uh, when I was who had some information on these consoles as well. And again, I think this was a year ago. Is he said that the issue is that the prices have gone up for a lot of these components, so they're starting to come back down. So I almost wonder, like, how much of this is like, will Sony just go? Oh, it's not an issue anymore. They they certainly could, but you know, when the PS5 came out, I think it was about breaking even, roughly. And then I think they announced they literally announced like three months after it came out, oh, we're profiting per console. And then they were quiet, and that's because I think once shipping costs went up, they weren't profiting per console again. And I've heard, and then the memory prices exploded, you know, mm. something I've extensively covered from like $6 a gigabyte to, I mean, honestly, I heard it got up to like $15 a gigabyte, which just sucks for them. Um, and I think there was this argument, though, of like, well, if we use faster memory that barely costs more and we clock it a little faster, at least we can sell this for $600 and now it's profiting. Mm. So I, one argument I heard was that it's because of inflation and shipping costs that they might bump up the price of the top disc model, but also bump up the performance by 40% to justify a price increase. Now, I know that's a conversation that happened. I'm not sure it's a necessary thing anymore. I don't know if you've thought about that reason for why they may revamp one of the versions, just so that it is profitable at $600, but they're not literally just raising the price. They're at least giving you a little more performance. Yeah, I think it's perfectly viable, and I know it's a problem because I've I've worked with customers over the last two years that have had a similar problem with things that they've they've done. So I know that it's affected everybody, and it's it's been a it's been a difficult time at certain points. I think the fact that they've got two SKUs gives them that viability as well. They currently got the option to say, well, do you know what? We'll bump mm-hmm. up our digital version and we'll make a pro. Ver-. You know, there's there's definitely options there to claw back some money. Right. The new Slim could just be a $400 disc list, yeah. and then they could just make the only disc version on sale, the PS5 Pro, which isn't like double the performance, but it's like 40% better or something. It, yeah, exactly. And and it, again, it, it would it would factor into a similar solution on a much smaller scale than what Microsoft done with the Series S and the Series X. I think it's just that, I think, we we will definitely see something, but I think absolutely uh, cost and ROI will be part of that plan. It has to be because mm-hmm. uh, even though they've had a very good year and they've sold lots and lots and lots, they did you know, reduce their sales targets and that's because they couldn't get access to all of the supplies they needed and or couldn't ship them in time. So they've had a very good year, more than they thought they'd have, or two years now. Um, but I, I do think they secretly hope to sell more but they've been stifled a little bit because, you know, as you say, they're just constantly out, out of stock, and that's just bonkers for a two-year-old console. You still can't walk in and buy it. Well, yeah, and I do want to stress that because when I put out my PlayStation and Xbox refreshes leak last year, I got hammered by a bunch of angry comments of, like, how dare they do this, as if they've discontinued the old model and the new models coming out today. And I kept trying to explain. I said 2023 or later, if it's the big option, that means... 
this is in two years, guys. Like, what? This isn't right now. Mm. And I'm still like, I've seen some recent, you know, supposed leaks pop up. As far as I can tell, I just like regurgitating actually what I said a year ago. <laughs> but it's restarted the conversation in the comments of like, how can they consider doing this? And I don't know if uh, one thing I want to make clear before I get your opinion on like where some of that anger comes from is. All of these options we're talking about, Sony will not do it if it allows them to make less consoles. I don't know if people get that. Like, if they do my six nanometer option, the die will also at least be the same size if they just go for speed or a little smaller. That will allow them to make more consoles. Six nanometer has really good yields. Exactly. Like, I, they, they, I think um, it costs more, but it's like, uh, I think I forgot what it was, like where they have it at now, like it actually puts out. The, uh, the yields come out quicker. Like, it is actually faster to make them if they use 6 nanometer. And if they go to 5 nanometer, well, whatever. The die's half as big now, even if it's just a die shrink. Like, all, like, I think the PS4 Pro's die was a little smaller than the base PS4 because it was now on 6... Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was now on 16 nanometer at TSMC instead of 28 nanometer. So uh, I, I just think people need to remember, all of these things I'm talking about with refreshes, none of your anger should be regarding not making enough consoles because they're doing this so they can make more too right yes yeah exactly it, it's it there's always a balance in that and it's all around how can you get the most out of it and sometimes you you take the performance gains you can get and you you use that to boost your market or you just say Do you know what we'll take the cost reduction the heat reduction the, the development design cost reduction and sell it and that's that's been the predominant solution that all manufacturers have taken since well, since the Sega Master System that I can remember. Actually, no, the Atari, the Atari 2026, 20, well, VCS, the Atari VCS. Um, they, they've always done that. It's never not been the case. It's just sometimes you take that resource and you put more power into the box or you bump it up or you just say, do you know what, we'll take the cost reduction because we need it. Um, yeah, it's never, it's never done for any other reason than to get more bums on seats or more boxes out of the market exactly that's their main focus sell you a console which which again it may there may be a 600 dollars console that costs more but they can also i just have to stress this again to people listening they can also make more of them they're not going to make a more expensive console if it also can't be produced just as just as plentifully um mm. but I, I what what i don't know if you have any last thoughts on that before i move on to the xbox side of it then but like what did you like? Does it surprise you at all that people continue to get mad at the idea there could be a Pro or Xbox Series refresh set of consoles? I don't know. I don't know the the main answer. The the main reason I think is because of the old fashioned FOMO. I think people put a lot of effort, mm. money into these consoles. You know, relatively they are cheap. Relatively they are. Um, it, you, uh, I, I remember you know back in the eighties buying a Commodore sixty four. That was like. 300 pounds 399 pounds then which in today's yeah, money I mean, today's yeah. money would be about a grand so um it, it would be it would be remiss of me to say you know people aren't doing it because they feel like if i don't get that i'm missing out and a lot of the market a lot of marketing is driven that way isn't it it's get hyped for next thing so i think uh, the the main issue of, of irritation for people is if i don't get the next one i'm going to miss out on some feature or function that that's there i'm not going to get a lock 60 fps i'm not going to get ray tracing that that blows my eyeballs out and i think that as you quite rightly said don't worry about it it's not going to happen it's, it's going to be mild optics to what you've got now and it's never going mm -hmm. to replace the core market you're in you're in this for the long haul so is sony so if they release a, a pro model just like the ps4 pro didn't really change the market, did it? Most people stuck with the PS4 and they were perfectly happy. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, that surprised me too. I was at the Carolina Game Show, a gaming convention in North Carolina um, back in August, and I was surprised that in one of the esports areas, most of them were still base PS4s, mm. <laughs> like for like just letting people join in and land together, and people seem perfectly happy with that. I guess, I guess though, to kind of touch on what you said about like people worried about FOMO, because I think these are the two most plentiful comments. There's the one person who goes. What? I just got my PS5, or I, I got a PS5, and now already a new one's coming out. I would say the game's still going to run it fine for you, and you've been gaming for two years in a time where no one can get a graphics card. I won't. I don't think you lost by getting the PS5 for $500 early. And then there's the second person who goes, what? I can't even get a PS5. Right. So now, maybe in a year, you'll be able to get a PS5 Pro for close to the same price that's stronger. Either way... Like, you know, you win because you waited too. Um, but what what do you think? Let me transition here. What do you think about the what Microsoft should do? Because I got actually, I think this is interesting. I think the details I have on the Xbox Series S refresh were far more detailed than the PS5 Pro. Like I was told specifically that Microsoft was targeting a six nanometer Series S maybe by the end of this year, actually. And the idea was to try to do that, you know, because right now the Series S runs at 1.5 gigahertz, which is really slow for RDNA too. Like the the idea was, let's just clock it faster, let's enable all the compute units, and then let's give it way faster RAM. We can maybe, and I think because of how low the Series S is clocked, they really pushed it to PS5 clock speeds on six nanometer, enabled all 24 compute units, and gave it faster memory. I actually think they could boost performance by at least 50 percent. And what I was told is they want to keep that at like below 350 and then just the disabled yields are just going to go down to a cheaper existing series s and that actually this person also told me the reason you can't get a series x that easily but series s's are in stock is they're just making more series s's because they're a smaller die for demand so even if people want the series x more that's what they're doing because they know people will probably just buckle and buy it and get game pass anyways like what, what do you think xbox's overall strategy should be with their xbox refreshes I think they need to go after the market that they clearly want, which is the SaaS market. So they they want they don't want to sell um, games anymore in a single package. They want you to be hooked into their infrastructure and their, their marketplace. So the whole ecosystem they're after is get the cheapest box and the most amount of box out there. So they need choice. Um, their marketing is all around the Xbox Series X. It's you know the most powerful console when they started the marketing process out, and I think that's a big part. But realistically, the people that are going to buy these are going to be mums and dads buying them for their kids to get them onto Game Pass because that's a nice, viable, cheap solution in terms of getting them a stack of games that they can play and talk to their mates. So I think that makes perfect sense to me. The, the, the six nanometer refresh. I, I, I don't. I haven't heard. I'm going on what you said. I don't. I'm not saying this is this is mm-hmm. fact, but it it sounds perfectly viable. They would maximize the amount of units they're going to sell rather than get a stack of xbox series x up you know improved enhanced ones that don't sell at the level of the series s's it makes more sense to to fund that process quickly and obviously it's it's probably more profitable the series s is than the series x i'm mm-hmm. sure it is so the, the, it makes a lot of sense to recoup the cost that they need for for game pass because you know without getting into game pass it's it's probably not making a profit still, but it has got a hell of a lot of influence. And it's, it's a classic market, you know, market leader. That's, that's it's a lost leader that they put out there to try and drum up impact. This would help because it means that you improve your, your profit yields because you're reducing your um, refresh size. So your, your actual die size is getting smaller. So you're getting more units out of it. 
you're probably bumping performance. That will claw in more people that can then spend 350 and get a, a console that now performs much better in terms of games that it can run. And, more and I have heard a lot of developers specifically say they wish the Series S was a little stronger too. So I think this is a sore spot to fix sooner rather than later. Yeah, again, memory. I think memory is the bond. Speaking to developers myself, a lot of the, th the issues they had is what I called out very early on, which is having split pools of RAM and having that limitation. And bandwidth is just way out of whack on it. That that creates mm. headaches for them when they're, when they're designing the game. They've got to make heavy cutbacks. And you've seen that. Some of the games I've covered, you know, there's... Serious cutbacks on the series, you know, 720p to get games yeah. to run. It's just mad, um, and that's not because it's the GPUs that weak. It's because bandwidth is out of whack when you're trying to push through, you know, fill rate heavy games with lots of transparencies, and and that's why ray tracing always gets dropped from a big look at GTA mm -hmm. Five recently. No ray tracing in it at all, and it's a, it's a ten year old game. Yeah, yeah, I you know. This is something that I think, this is a few months ago, I got an AMD engineer to open up kind of about that split memory pool thing, because it's something that didn't make any sense to me, too. And, like, why would they put in these memory controllers? And, and I don't know if you know this, but it was something that wasn't clear to me, at least based on how Microsoft talks about their split memory. So, apparently, and, again, this is someone who 100% knows AMD. He says that the split memory is actually software. Mm. that it so if you think about and and if you if you what i'm about to say and then you go look at the diagrams you'll go oh yeah that is what they show but i don't it wasn't obvious to me until it was explained to me it the xbox series x has 10 memory controllers right and that's it there's not two separate memory controllers it's 10 it's 320 bit and six of those memory controllers are populated with double capacity memory right mm -hmm. so in other words it's all software. If they wanted to, they could make it a 20 gigabyte console right now with unified memory, but they wanted to save four gigabytes on RAM. And I mean, which I guess maybe they thought by now is a good idea when memory prices quadrupled for half a year. But at the same time, it does show, I think, if anyone should do a simple six nanometer pro refresh, it's the Xbox. They have a obvious path right there, in my opinion. Like, and, and then the same with the Series S, by the way, that it has eight memory controllers. And then I believe, was it then one of them or two of them? It just has a double capacity. And so for anyone wondering about like why in some games, because I, I think it's just obvious, depending on the game, the PS5 and Xbox Series X are within 10% of each other almost always. Like sometimes PS5 wins, sometimes Series X wins. But I think there is uh, some games where the resolution's lower on the Series X and people go, well, why would the resolution be an issue? It has more bandwidth. And I'm like, no, but listen to what I said. It has 10 memory controllers. Six of them are double capacity. So you're pulling still just from 10 memory controllers. And if you populate it, it's not... You're getting, it's because if you have to run some for the system memory and some for the VRAM, you're kind of actually effectively getting a split where you're, it's more close to 400 gigabytes per second for the VRAM. And, you know, there's mitigations about 100-something gigabytes per second for the system memory. That's actually how it typically averages out. Now, to be fair, the PS5 also uses this memory for everything, so it's not like it's doesn't have some drawbacks of its own but i don't i don't know if you knew that that the that the memory control it's all software it could be a 20 gigabyte console not 22 20 
Yeah, no, I did. I, I covered it before launch on both consoles. I did a, a, a video about the, the hardware split, and it makes sense. The contention issue you mentioned about hard, RAM is a big problem. I mentioned that that's, that's a potential risk if you bleed over the allocation they've got. But specifically what you said is right, and the reason they've done it is because it makes it very modular, very scalable. They can then come back and say, we're going to go from 10 to 20 gigabyte, and there's no, there's no work there because you're just... Or 16 to 20. Yeah, so... Absolutely, and I think it makes sense. If they, if, I think they did that for cost. Maybe they knew that the prices were going to go up, and they made the choice to say, Do "You know mm-hmm. what? We can cut back on this and bump it up later on." And you know, that's that makes perfect sense. Um, as we said before, memory is expensive, really expensive, and it went it went crazy price expensive last year, just mad. So if it drops, they can bump that up, and I think it makes perfect sense. I think the Series S is the best choice they've got for bumping it up. I don't think the Series X needs any more power. Um, outside of the same with what we said about PS5, which is if they want to go hard, uh, it'll be around the ray tracing element more than anything else. And mm-hmm. I think that's what... I think that that's just bringing it back to the same reason that both manufacturers would go for a pro model, because um, I'm not classing the, the Series S as a pro model, more of a... that I think that will continue to evolve to be the best value that Microsoft can offer to get you into Game Pass. So I think anything they can do, as you quite rightly said, six nanometer refresh bump, it just makes it more enticeable to buy into it and think, do you know what? I've got an older PC. I'll buy a Series S instead. All the hassle's gone, mm-hmm. and I'll get Game Pass. Brilliant stuff. I think the Series X and the PS5, the, the reason they'll do a, a big, big boost, you know, your, your 80-core prediction stuff, you know, potential, um, is is to stop bleed, to stop people jumping back over to PC. And I think that, yeah. that that's the main thing. They'll look and see what's coming, or they'll know what's coming better than, than I do, for sure. Um, and they'll decide, you know what? That's going to make a big difference. That's a bit of a disruptor in the market space. We could see a lot of bleed from our market. Let's try and put a machine out there that competes. And that kind of backs up what you said around, you know, wanting to go hard on ray tracing on the next release. If they do go hard on ray tracing, that means that, uh, the other manufacturers are doing the same thing in the PC space. That, that's what I reckon. That, I think there's a lot of passion in that area at the moment for a lot of software developers. There's a lot of opportunity to go ray tracing or path tracing more more predominantly. That, that's the end game. We're not there yet, but I'll be interested well, to well, see. Well, yeah, and RDNA 3, to, for everything I've been told, is its ray tracing uh, performance increase is substantially better than rdna2 so if they waited and and i know that there's some versions of rdna3 on six nanometer as well so they don't even necessarily need to use the most expensive node like if they wanted to there's a obvious path there for both microsoft and sony Mm. to make some subtle tweaks here and there and then just kind of bring in more of the rdna3 and even possibly partially rdna4 like the new stuff amd's had that is improved ray tracing which i think it's still impressive at times in games like rash and clank and spider-man but it's not gonna hold up to what we're gonna get on pc later this year and they can bring that out late 2023 or 2024 and then they're like yep so now it's full 4k and ray traced and i I think for sure it's gonna be 600 dollars though i you know one question i have though is and it's funny that you're like, yeah, you knew about the memory system, but for some reason to me, it just always seemed like they were portraying it like there were literally two separate controllers of memory, the way they showed it in diagrams. And in reality, it's just one controller um, that just has like some of the memory controllers within it having to pull, like do double duty or something, basically double work. Um What do you think they should do with the memory then on the Series S? Because I believe that's eight memory you know, controllers there. So instead of, or is it, actually, is it just four? I'm trying to remember I, I, now. I can't, I, I think it's, is it six and two, the way the split is? It is 28-bit, yeah. It, 
yeah. and then one's limited. The system RAM's limited heavily, isn't it? Yeah, so what do you think they should do with memory, though? Because it, I think for me, it's obvious what you do with the Series X if they were to just do, like, a very simple refresh. It's like, oh, clock it faster, give it 50% faster memory, and now give it unified 20 gigabytes. I, honestly, going from unified 20 gigabytes from 16 split with 50% more bandwidth could actually massively increase Series X performance, to be honest. Far more than I think it would even help the PS5 because it's already unified. But like, if we were to do the same with the Series S, I don't think they can just go from like 10 to 12 without still having split RAM, right? Like they'd have to, seems like they'd have to go to 16 gigabytes. Do you think Microsoft would actually put 16 gigabytes in a Series S refresh? Right now, I'm going to say no because of the cost of mm -hmm. the cost of RAM. But um, who knows what's down the line? I think if they did, they would do that. I think that would be the target, not to go for 20 gigabyte in Series S, but go for 16 gigabyte and, and mirror a similar split with a higher bandwidth, like it's faster chips. Even if they mm -hmm. do that as an option, but it it all depends on prices. Right now, that doesn't seem to make any sense. Um, it would make more sense. To right, and I'm it. told they want to keep the price the same if they can. Yeah, and I think that's a tall order. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Prices aren't going down fast enough at the moment. Apart from some things, such as they could certainly bump up the storage space, which which is a big Achilles heel on the Series S. Yeah. But they could they could double that, maybe even go higher. And ironically, that that'll be a big marketing feature. A lot of people would probably buy that over pay paying two hundred pound for one of the memory card things that they use. You know, the the uh, SSD cards that Xbox have the proprietary. Is it Seagate? Seagate yeah, sorry, Seagate. Yeah. Seagate just randomly shows up with gamer-focused SSDs, even though they're predominantly a hard drive company. I always find that funny. Um, but, yeah, so, and it's interesting, if they could keep it, um, you know, which I, I, I'm having trouble even remembering. Isn't the, I believe the Series S, I think it's in stock on Amazon. Just, I, honestly, forgive me, prices have been all over the place that sometimes I even forget what the MSRP is on these things. But I think it's, yes, yeah, $300, yeah. so... I think that's a tall order, but the funny thing is, if they went to 16 gigabytes and gave it faster memory, if they went from 1.5 gigahertz to like 2 gigahertz, like, and then they bumped up the compute units, I think they could increase performance maybe 60% or more. It wouldn't be as strong as a PS5, but it would be an interesting move if they managed to bring something that instead of being like half the performance of a PS5 in practice ends up being... 75% the performance and they could still keep it at $300. If they did that and still had 16 gigabytes of developers had no issues programming, I don't know. I think that would be a killer product if they could do it, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, they could. Uh, their whole development infrastructure now, their SDK is all designed around, you know, the whole classic write once, ship forever. So that they don't want you to write for multiple applications. You just tweak and optimize for a certain configuration set. So their whole business practice now from their SDK when they've gone to the XDK and DDK, they're, they're moving through their development stack. They've got to a point of saying, whatever we do, it will be modular for you and hopefully transparent. So it will just be a case of, hey, guys, in the next nine months, we're going to be shipping another model and it's got this and it will be somewhere between Series X and Series S. And I'm sure every developer will go, great, I'll just uh, target the Series X version now with a, a slightly lower resolution, which we should have done from the first place because... There's definitely more tweaking going on on the Series S versions at the moment. So it will be interesting to see what they do. Whether they do it, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, and the funny thing is, if they do do this, 
I think what you're going to just see is they'll target the Series X. They'll know that the new version, right, of the Series S is close enough that whatever they're running in 4K, they can run in 1440p safely now mm. on the refreshed yeah. Series S. Whatever they're running in, I don't know, 1800p, they can safely do in whatever, 1200p dynamic res. But I think they're likely then, if a new Series S refresh comes out that actually meets all the requirements they really wanted, I think, from the get-go. I think they are likely to just take the ser the base Series S model from now on and go, yeah, whatever, it's 720p, you know, mm -hmm. and probably not put as much effort into it. Just, oh, it doesn't run at the frame rate? Lower the v lower the textures. Keep lowering them. Oh, it's good. We're done. <laughs> I feel like there will be less tweaking, and you are – it's just kind of like a, a – you know, I, I think it will, if anything, it will help optimization on the Series X and all the other consoles. But I do believe on the base Series S, the amount of complaints I've heard, if they have a refresh of that come out, they're likely to just kind of look at that base model as, you know, not too much effort. We're just going to turn down settings as much as we can because no one's going to complain anymore. It's the base version. Uh, at least that's that's kind of what I expect with how much I hear developers saying they're kind of tired of putting extra effort into trying to get it to run close to 1440p. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. So Falto writes in, he says, will we ever actually get close to 4K60 on the current consoles? Right now on most games, it seems we have a quality mode that's usually 4K30 and a performance mode that's 1440p60. And why aren't we able to get near, you know, max, why aren't we able to get near 4K60? Is it because most games are cross-gen right now? So when we get only next-gen games, we can then expect something to be somewhat closer to 4K60? My answer is that they could all be 4K60 if they just use the right settings. Just a lot of developers are choosing to be below 4K to turn up some settings. Sometimes that's a good choice, and other times, I don't know why they enabled ray tracing on Watch Dogs Legion, for example. That was a silly choice, in my opinion. But uh, I don't know what you think about that. No, I agree. I agree. At the end of the day, we've gone past, even the, the main market has gone past resolution, and I think that you're going to struggle to, to, again, differentiated you're going to struggle to show a clear divide between last generation and current generation if all you've got left is higher frame rates and sharper resolutions you need to do more and when you do more it, it has an impact so a demon souls is a very very good example because the asset quality there the material shading quality the, the, the sheer expense of rebuilding that game in terms of the world construction that they've done it's a very good game for that because it's been built from the ground up to take an old game. So it's it's, a, it's what I class as a programming development more than anything else. So the mm. game exists, you know, the whole infrastructure is there. You're not you're not rebuilding a game from scratch. So you'll you'll fundamentally have a lot of technical people. That's technical artists, uh, animators, um, you know, general engine programmers as well, all doing the work to try and focus and maximize potential of the hardware. That's what you'll see this generation. You'll see more use of quality over quantity so there's no point in running a 4k game because if it's got bad textures it's got crap lighting the, the materials don't look very well and don't react very well to the light structure there's not a lot of uh, you know light consumption in there there's no ambient occlusion going on that's very deep everything can look crap the demon souls has got all of that and that's why everything looks so solid and real and it, it kind of draws you in and the fact that it's running at i think it's 1440p in the performance mode who yeah cares? It, it bet, even when you flick over you go oh that's a little bit blurry and then within a minute you're like actually i don't care anymore does matter it runs at 60 frames per second it looks great and i think that that is what developers are more focused on so i think you're absolutely right if they turn all the settings down yeah it'd be 4k it looked worse everyone would complain so what's the point makes the most use of hardware 
Yeah, and I would just say, at least this point of view that I 100% agree with, always comes with the caveat of sometimes developers don't do a good job. Like, I think you just uh, did a Dying Light 2 video Mm -hmm. where you pointed out on the Series X, at least, that they just patch it for higher performance. And they're, I think it was the balanced mode, runs at a locked 60 anyways. So they could have always been above 1080p 60 the whole time. And I think sometimes some of the games that make the consoles look bad... It's like, yeah, well, that was an example where they didn't do a good job optimizing it for launch, right? I mean, I think you said they got it above 1080p and the frame rate didn't even change for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I said it on the review as well before it even came out. I said, look, this is this game is going to get patched heavily. You can tell. Um, it, it wasn't utilizing the hardware very well. It, it, it probably still isn't, in quotes. I'm saying that from an outside Seems in. like it, right? Yeah. Huh? If it's complete locked 60 and all they did and they turn up the resolution, to me that tells me there's still gas left in the tank. Absolutely. Well, they did more than that. They've, they've actually improved some of the visual settings. So you, you get better GI, you get better ambient occlusion, you get better shadows. Um, uh, so there is there is improvements in, in that mode in addition to the fact that it's got, you know, I think top of my head, 25%, 30% higher resolution. I think, it, I, I can't quote you, I can't remember, but it was, it was something mm-hmm. like 2240 or something, 12 by 1276. So... It was somewhere between 1440p and 1080p. Much better, much cleaner. It's got better effects. And it's, like I say, as you said, it's still a lock 60. The, the thing to remember is developing games and software is hard. And not everyone is John Carmack. Not everyone is, you know, Insomniac. Not everyone is, um, mm-hmm. you know, Naughty Dog. There's always going to be uh, that level of, got, do I have the time, effort, and resources to do it? Do And can I do it? And is it worth my effort? Because... You ask any developer that their game would never be ready because they always want to do more and fix more and add more. And and I think that's the point. You have to draw a line in the sand. I think Dying Light 2 is one of those games that just suffered heavily from every other area under the sun. And that's one of those titles that, you know, it's again, it's this thing, thing about dying on a hill. You know, when you sometimes say to I, I do, I do. I sometimes say to people, this is not the game to have hardware comparisons about. And that... That is, you know, Dying Light's a good example of that. Doesn't make it a bad game. Doesn't make it not impressive in any way. Doesn't mean anything bad about the development of the game itself. It's just sometimes you can't just pick a game like that and say this is the one that you know we're all going to fight over and say whoever wins this is the best hardware out there. Um, ironically, you'd pick something that most people, you know, most people in the mainstream don't like, which is something like Call of Duty, which I think have always been at the forefront of pushing technology really, really hard and certainly trying to maximize the most of the hardware. If, at least in the past few years yeah for sure yeah yeah and 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 even dice you know the old dice the dice that used to be they're not the same company anymore but nah, again seem like it. it's those kind of games where you, you can sit and go do you know what this is impressive stuff and they maximize both pieces of hardware but in like I say in dying light's case there is definitely many times where games just will not be well programmed and i don't mean that in a contentious way just not heavily utilizing the hardware efficiently so you end up with poor performance. Any idiot, including myself, could jump on any piece of hardware, including a 3090 Ti, and just hammer it and make it run at four frames per second. Does that mean that it's crap? No, it means I'm crap. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? You just you need to maximize the hardware, and that takes a lot of effort, specifically when you're making games at the level now, especially open-world games, all the complexities that go on with that. So, yeah, Dying Light 2 was... Uh, I'm sure it's going to improve more. I'm sure there's more improvement to come. It's got a long life, that game, I'm sure. Yeah, it's funny, too, like you say, you could just put in a 3090 Ti, turn up specific settings, and boom, now you're at four frames. Does this mean the 3090 Ti sucks? Mm. Um, Like, 
I will say though, it does annoy me the when developers have a, a thirty frames mode in anything but a walking simulator. Like to this day, I don't understand what's going on. Like, and I think Dying Light Two was one of those games. The options were 1080p 60 or 4K 30, and I was like, what? Well, what are you doing? Like, turn down a few settings and get this to like 1800p. 50 minimums or something like and I always find that but I will say that that it does still annoy me when I see only a 30 and then like a low res 60 mode it's like this is I the only reason there should be a 4k 30 mode is as a third option for screenshots and I don't know why developers keep doing that like a third like they oh there's ray tracing in 30 frames well then no one's going to use it like I don't know why you put it at 30 frames well, I think that, again, it's all about choice, isn't it? And I think that there are people, me, me myself included, if if 30 mm. FPS gives you a, a great reward on that visual package, whatever it might be, um, then it's worth it. But as you say, I think we're now in that situation where if you're making a first-person shooter, if you're making a fast-action title, you need 60 FPS because people have gotten so used to it over the past couple of years, even if they've got a Series S, for example, um, that... It is hard for a lot of people to go back, and that's not like arrogant people saying that. But for certain titles, it's hard. But I think choice is the most important thing. But just adding choice into a game can be hard. The other thing I remember is sometimes optimization is just easy to go. Do you know what? Screw it. Let's put it out at thirty. It, it's done. It's thirty. Because uh, that's what I think they do have well, the time. It, yeah. It, bandwidth is a good pop example to use. So four K thirty is actually lower bandwidth than fourteen forty p sixty. So. You've got to you've got to balance it out between how much are you needing to pixel fill rate at a certain level. So sometimes it's easier to just go with the construction of the RAM and everything else and the GPU power of a console or whatever to go. Do you know what? 4K 30 looks great. You can sell it as a 4K machine and it's great. Get the game, get it out there. And later on, you get patches that bump it up. We've, we, in fact, Dying Light Two had that again. Series S had no 60 FPS mode, which mm -hmm. made it feel really bad. And now it does. It's 900p, but hey-ho, it should have been there from the start because the game feels terrible at 30. That game feels yeah. terrible at 30. Well, yeah, it involves a lot of melee and parkour. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine playing that yeah, at 30, horrible. to be honest. Well, so let me ask you this. Do you think so far the consoles have lived up to performance expectations? We're, we're, we're only... We're we're not even two years in, I guess, but we're we're getting there though. We're starting to see games come out like Horizon Zero Dawn. Finally, the Halo's out. We're seeing games that were advertised before launch that didn't just come out in the first year come out. Like, is are the consoles living up to the hype? In your opinion? Yes and no. Um, I think that it's definitely been slower. Um, I I know that um, there should be more games out now. I know a lot of games have been put back. A lot of stuff has been been delayed, but I think that. They have done an, an exceptional job. And, I'm, you know, people say, but Sony have done a much better job than, than Microsoft. Microsoft haven't, I mean, they haven't released anything for months. Halo was was their big ticket item. And even though it had, it's a great game to play and it's a great online game. It's not a, it's not a console seller. It's not a, it's not a market leader. It doesn't stand mm. out from the crowd. In fact, it's identical to the Xbox One X version, um, even down to 60 FPS mode. So it's a shame that we haven't seen more from them. It's a shame we haven't seen more from coalition and the gears of war but i think mm. that sony have at least done a good job and they've impressed me by allowing teams to do their own thing so gta gt7 is a good example of a title that has some nice boosts on ps5 but it pretty much is not much of a difference it's it's not a huge night and day um high performance uh, but you can get 1080 60 on the pro um, it's got ray traced options on there, which look great, but they are, as you say, 30 FPS. But then 
you've got Horizon Forbidden West, which has some significant updates to it, and it looks drastically mm-hmm. different. There's a lot of care and attention going into maximizing that game, both from the two modes and also the visual fidelity, the LOD, the additional elements of the lighting they use in the game, that you know, the very expensive um, point lights on, on the character themselves. So I think there's, there's absolutely a lot more horsepower left over. There's a lot more power in terms of using the hardware to present games that don't look the same and the cpu is a big area because one of the biggest things that we need to not forget is maximizing the cpu to get better performance out of it is not the same as maximizing the cpu to get better physics and ai out of it and i think that's one part that we are looking to see which is improvements Mm. to the physical reality of worlds that i think once we stop doing ps4 and xbox one titles you'll see a big leap in that and that'll that'll impact the pc space on cpus as well because no matter which way you cut it, one of the biggest benefits from working in a console space is the SDK, the API is much, much better. It's more efficient. The driver cost is a lot lower, more tailored. Um, and you end up with, you know, probably a percentile, 25%. I'm pulling that out of the air. I'm not saying it's fact. 25% mm-hmm. better performance from a like-for-like PC to console CPU. And that's going to make a meaningful difference in some titles when people use it. So, yeah, it's early days, and I think because of the pandemic, it's probably still we're still like year one. That's what it feels like, rather than mm. year two. And I think a lot of the choices people have made is, well, let's extend cross-gen. And Sony, you know, put their foot in their mouth by saying, no cross-gen, yeah. then cross-gen. Um, but, yeah, but, they really backtracked on yeah, that, huh? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and that's what happens, you know. You, you, if you, put, if you put, put out your stall, you're going to get bitten sometimes when people actually say, well, hang on a minute, you said no cross-gen. But I think... The financial implications, as you've quite rightly articulated earlier, you can see the reason for why that is. Um, you know, I, I did a video last week actually talking about Red Dead Redemption, uh, not Red Dead Redemption, uh, Red Engine. So CG Project Red going to Unreal Engine 4. Again, it's all around market influences. The reason you do these things sometimes is you want to do it and then cost and everything else goes out the window and you think, mm-hmm. ah, actually, we can't do it now. We've got to change our mind. And the message was very badly handled. So... Give it another year, I'd say. 2023 is probably a good point where we start seeing some some really good titles. You might see some this year, but I did think that last year. In fact, I, I did. I was told that last yeah. year. Yeah. Well, now you were told that. Now was it a game that just didn't even come out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A game that's that's still mm. not seeing the light of day. There's a few of those. Might have a chance to talk about that near the end of the podcast. I mean, but to continue this part of the conversation, I think what you said about CPU is just to add on, like. What people need to remember is, are we getting higher performance right now? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's some PS5 games, but even more Xbox Series games have 120 FPS modes. Mm -hmm. And yes, it is utilizing the Series X's CPU over this Xbox One's CPU, but it's only utilizing it to jack up the frames more. And it's probably not even doing so that efficiently. It's probably running the same code. And just because of IPC and clock speed, it's running twice the frame rate. If they actually optimized from the, you know, the ground floor of, oh, we know we have 16 threads running this fast and we don't need to, you know, offload this many tasks, the other things. Oh, we know we have these I.O. controllers. We can save this much. Like, I think that we would see significantly better, like you were saying, AI and probably just smoothness in general. Because what we're seeing now is just jacking up the settings on, frankly, games that were developed for the PS4 and Xbox One. And what happens then is you're just going to get a stall, the area loads, and now it's faster. But I bet the entire experience would be way smoother and slicker just in general if it wasn't basically still just booting from the same last-gen code. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you can't underestimate the amount of headache it takes away from somebody developing an engine or anything like that to go, do you know what? We can get rid of all that legacy code. We don't need to cater for that anymore. We don't need to cater about buffer sizes that fit inside of PS4's RAM. So there's a lot of things that will change drastically. Uh, and then you get the flip side of this conversation, which is why weren't they doing this two years ago? And it's, you know, it's that whole duality of like we go from one end to the other they're not utilizing the hardware correctly oh look they are they should have done it sooner you know so i'm sure it'll be good um it just might be a little longer than people thought say 2023 is probably a good estimation well one thing i'd say is the holy grail that mark cerny advertised on his end for the ps5 seemed to be asset streaming mm. So like literally using the SSD as a tier of RAM and right now, again, just to like give everyone a crash course of like, like why this would increase performance right now, they just render things you can't even see directly. And it's because if your character turns fast, the object has to be there. And in fact, if you guys want an example of this going wrong, go look at the last gen versions of cyberpunk where NPCs disappeared behind you if you didn't look at them. And that's because they had to do something to get more performance. So not only did they decide to not render the NPCs behind you, but they made them disappear to not make the CPU struggle and only have so many AI things operating at the same time. What Mark Cerny talked about is the SSD is so fast we could stream an object so quickly that maybe we could render half as much stuff off screen that you turn and can see quickly than usual, and that could give us like a 30, 50, 100% performance boost. Do you think we're going to see that? Because look, it's only been a year and a half, but I am starting to question, it, this is where it starts to like go, you know, some of the big claims both of these companies made, and I think that was the biggest one made by PlayStation. Do you think that's gonna happen? Yeah, I do. Um, again, it's one of those things that it's just almost broke cost, fundamentally impossible to do that without writing it specifically for the one piece of hardware so you're gonna it's it's how they want to use it and where they're going to use it so it's fundamentally something along the lines of ratchet and clank was a good quick example wasn't you know it wasn't the i feel like that was a half step would you agree it was a half step yeah it was was, can you get something up and that, that we can show off but even when you play the game there's not a lot of elements that show off that feature it's definitely something that was that was added in quotes in to show off the ability but it's all around having i think i said this a couple of years ago when we were talking about what this what this could mean so by being able to stream in assets as quickly as possible absolutely you can improve performance because you can keep things out of ram and therefore out of any calculation I mean, frustrum culling is already a big thing anyway so it's not as if that's a new thing that's always been there but it's also around enabling the world to be more dynamic and certainly more varied so you can have a lot more polygons, uh, not polygons, a lot more characters and features and, and mm. buildings and textures and assets that don't, that don't repeat so often because you're no longer having to sit and go, I need all of these in RAM when I'm walking down the street. And when I turn this corner, I'll hit a sector point and I'll start streaming in the next stuff. You can now say, Do you know what? I can have 50 people behind me and every single one of them can look different. I think there's a lot of potential there for teams to grasp hold of and use that to a lot of, you know, a higher level of fidelity that we haven't seen yet. We're not going to see it until they're not tied to doing it on a PS4 because it, it's just too much work. It's just impossible. It's, well, it's not impossible. It's just too much work. It's too expensive. It's, it's too completely yeah. path, different paths. 
Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I'd I, I bring this up too. I, I just was, well, you were talking, making sure I looked up when this happened. It was eight months ago. I interviewed someone on this show from Sony Santa Monica. He's a VFX artist that I believe actually now has been gotten a higher position at Infinity Awards. So this guy's actually doing really well in his career. And he says it's because I make the best explosions. Um, and he said a way to convey what more RAM, or if we could use the SSD for this, more RAM would do for us is when you look at the Witcher 3 on the Switch, there just aren't as many colors of flowers, right? Mm. Like it, like what they did to fit it into, I think it's 3.2, 3.5 gigabytes of RAM on the Switch from, you know, they usually want at least 8 gigabytes, is they just said, hey, there's now one two types of trees in this forest in different shape and different angles instead of 30 types of trees. And when you cast a spell, people don't know this or probably haven't thought about this. I should say, but like when you cast a spell in a game, the fire comes out at different angles and slightly different shapes. And that's so it doesn't look like the example I would give is Spyro breathing fire on the PS one <laughs> where every time you breathe, it looks like the exact same fire sprite, 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 there's a, but if you play modern games with spells in them, every time you cast a spell, actually the arc of the fire coming out of the person's hand is a slightly different shade of yellow, orange, orientation. He goes, so if we had more RAM, we just we could have more of the variation. And I, that's kind of what you're getting at, right, when you say if you had an SSD that could actually stream in the assets. Now, you could probably not have all of them on screen at the same time because you're still limited by 16 mm -hmm. gigabytes of RAM. But you wouldn't have to have a thousand flowers loaded in once, maybe a hundred. And then you get to this part of the forest, new colors start popping up that before you'd have to have a loading screen, right? Yeah, or, or a heavy streaming system that would, that would kick in. So it's, I think it's a good example you just used there, what you said. It's it's all around the layering. You can add far more layers, far more complexity, and far you know, subtle variations by not having to have them all resonant in RAM. And that's that's a very expensive part of it. So virtualizing all that into the SSD means that you can then do things more efficiently and also make them more varied because you don't have to worry about the fact that's it. I've got I've got eight gig and I'm done. Once my eight gig's full, I've got to ask for another load in or I've got to, you know, like you say, force you through a door and all that kind of stuff. So there's definitely a lot of things they can do to change both the visual fidelity and quality and certainly the variation of the screen, but also gameplay wise, there's a lot more they could do with it. It's it's just gonna take them time. I'm sure they're working on it now, but that they'll be dedicated PS5 titles, not not anything around series uh, PS4. Yeah, and they'll go hand in hand with a better CPU. Like an example they give is you could walk into a portal into the other side of the map. And the reason is now they're programming for the CPU from the ground up that is way stronger. So the CPU still has to track enemy AI on the other side of the map if you can go see it, even if it doesn't render it. And then using that SSD, if you go there quickly, it also can stream in the assets there and stream out the back ones. But I guess you're saying you're you're sure that it, that we are going to see that, and it will be obvious that this is something we couldn't have done on the previous gen. Then yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure we will see it. Yeah, like I say, I, I've always said this. I think it'll only be first party though that really utilize it. I I can't see third party doing it to a huge degree. Not saying the Series X is, is bad. It's just that they've got to cater for Series X, Series S. And, and again, there's a there's a difference there, not just in the SSD speed, but as we're going back to the RAM, you're only as fast as your slowest part. I do say that a lot, but it's a very true computer science rule. You know, you, well, actually it's physics rule. Um, you've only got to, you can only do it as fast as your slowest part will let you. And that is what mm -hmm. will hold back cross-party, third-party teams. Mm -hmm. 
You don't you don't think any I I think a couple of them might. Well, I guess I don't know, right? I think yeah, I agree. I think the most you'd see out of third party is using the SSD kind of like what we see now. Oh, it loads twice as fast and maybe a couple things, but probably nothing insane because yeah i mean and again honestly pc is a big issue too you have to make sure pcs can run it as well um timo h writes in gotta ask a hard question of nx gamer which aspect is most important in coming for future of gaming development focus network code and online connectivity number one number two graphics performance and features on the latest running hardware or three software quality drivers game code engine os which of these three things do you think is the most important for determining, like, how a game turns out? Uh, three, software, quality, all day, every day. Because um, it's just, everything else is fixed and you can, you can work on it. But if the, if the code's crap, if the, if the tools are crap, the operator, you know, if, if the drivers are bad and your literal development plan is bad, and that's everything from your entire pipeline, then you're going to have poor games or problems throughout, which, you know, everything else is nice to have. I'm not saying... None of the other two are important, but definitely software mm-hmm. quality is the most important. I think I would agree too, because it's becoming more and more apparent when you look at recent releases from Cyberpunk, which again, and every game I say after this, I don't want to, I think too often people say this is like Cyberpunk, but <laughs> like Cyberpunk was its own thing. Um, there's Cyberpunk, but then you also even have things with like uh, Battlefield 2042 and other stuff, and you just go, you know, the code we've had good gra- we've had good enough graphics for a decade. I think at this point, can it just never freeze, work well, and be easy to jump into? For me, the code is, I think at this point, obviously the most important thing. Yeah, agreed. I mean, network code and and the whole how online titles work is still pretty old. There's not a lot of new methods mm. there. There's definitely a huge area there that could be done, and hopefully is done at some point, but. It's again, you've got to you've got to fight, pick your battles, um, and I think that, that at the moment it's still very early, and this whole situation with engine divergence and, and convergence, sorry, in terms of having all of these developers all go to one engine, um, that might help, but it also might hinder because it just mm. means everyone's just making the same mistakes. Yeah, that's true. It is funny the like convergence on Unreal Engine five, and I guess maybe for Sony Decima to a le- much lesser extent. Um, I I think some of that's kind of inevitable though, especially as games get more complex, right? I mean, when you look at CD Projekt move to Unreal, it's because they're building games, publishing games, running a company, and Unreal's job is to make a good engine. Like, why would they be able to make an engine as good as? unreal you know at the end of the day even if it it takes a cut out of their profits i think you got to wonder if just over time it's inevitable the the industry just standardizes on a few engines right it, it unfortunately it it does when it gets this popular um that's exactly what happens and convergence doesn't help anyone in the sector so if you're working as a software developer if you're an engine coder or an artist or whatever else then the the, the benefits for you are not as big if you're working for red engine or on red engine as if you are a well-versatile, well-versed Unreal Engine 5 developer and you're an artist, for example, you're a technical artist or a visual effects artist or whatever, then you've got all of these opportunities to, to jump around. And more importantly, companies have got a much bigger asset pool to pull from. So, so financially, it makes perfect sense what, what they've done. And I'm sure the, the, the massive problem of 
Cyberpunk's launch being pulled from the Sony stores and everything else that happened is a good reason why that happened. This is a financial choice through and through all day, every day. Um, not least of which is because having your own engine has an uptake. You just said it yourself about development costs. The, the R&D and the, the proof of concept stuff that goes into teams that are working on their own engine is massive and there's no payback on that. That's why you get these quick ports to new consoles that come out and they're 20 quid and 30 quid and they've ported their engine over to the newer hardware because it kind of pays a little bit for that ROI. Mm-hmm. Um, the CD Projekt take too long to launch a game. They're huge. They're massive. They they have these huge build-ups, but it was years. It was, well, 2015, wasn't it, for Witcher 3? I know there was updates and yeah. DLC, but that's a long time, five years between... It's a really long time. Yeah, and and so it makes sense because they fundamentally wouldn't have made the money because they would have got hit with refunds and all the noise from the Sony pull from the store and everything else. So from a business perspective, absolutely makes total sense. But I'm sure there's a lot of people in that company screaming out. And I did see online that one mm. of the ex-developers said that the, the whole engine was, you know, rewritten from scratch every time. And that's a classic, you know, issue you fall into, which is write something very bespoke because it's easy and it works and then come back later on and fix it. Um, and you never get a chance to go back and fix it. Therefore, you end up with a very unique engine that only works for Witcher 3 and now only works for for Cyberpunk. So it it's just not viable for them to keep making at that pace. They need to make games quicker. I think that's certainly one of the big reasons they've done it. Yeah, I've heard, I mean, I think we've all heard similar things about Frostbite as well. It's not that the Frostbite engine is bad. It's just you throw it over to another team and they don't even know how to, how to really use it, you know. Yeah, you, um, you can't but, undirect tools. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Unreal Engine 5, 4 has done a very good job at standardizing that. People are used to it now. I'm not saying it's great. I know there's probably a lot of developers that will be shouting out this chat, but it's... It's certainly better understood and documented than many other engines. I think that make that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. So, and I, just to kind of cap off the more of the hardwarey talk, I think one final point here. Well, it's officially spring, which for me and my dog Greasy means getting outside and growing some fresh food in our garden. And also, it means having to mow the lawn every week, having to take care of weeds, and just having to maintain the yard in general, which means that, yeah, during the spring and summer months, I like having a quick snack that I can make so I waste as little time as possible now that I'm spending more time taking care of my yard. But I also, of course, want it to be healthy and tasty. And, well, yeah, that's where Vite Ramen comes in. Vite Ramen is an American company that, just like me, likes using fresh ingredients to make meals tasty and healthy and it only takes a few minutes to make and they keep updating their recipe like the v3 edition of beef pho recently to keep ensuring their product is as good as it can be so make sure even if you bought them before you check back at their store and if you do click on the link in the description and use the offer code broken silicon to save 10 percent on a special bundle just for moore's law zed fans that gives you 25 dollars in free goodies and it really does help support this channel tremendously seriously i eat bite ramen it's tasty it's healthy it's fresh and it's especially reasonably priced if you use the Moore's Law as dead deal. Try Vite Ramen today. Robos writes in and he says, with twice or more raster performance as a 6900 XT, not to mention the high image quality upscaling technology that's coming out with FSR, DLSS, XE Super Sampling, TSR from Unreal, and more, 
Uh, what frontiers will next generation of GPUs even open? Is raster performance solved for high refresh 4K at this point? Do we end up with a poly per pixel mesh density? Like, where else will we place that computing power? Physics, II, where? And, and this leads into like one final thing. Like, I even have like an early RDNA 4 leak where not only do I believe RDNA 3 will double performance at the end of this year, but I believe probably quarter one 2024, RDNA 4 is going to almost at least double performance again on top of that, which is to say two years from now, pretty much to the day, I think we will have graphics cards four times stronger than what we have now, meaning we'll have mid-range cards twice as strong as what we have now. I mean, at what point do we have enough? Or do you think just like snap your fingers, they'll do something with it right away and max it out and we're still going to be gaming at only 60 or having to turn down some settings? I hate to say this, and I'm going to hate myself, but it, it'll be 8K. It'll happen, and it'll, it'll frustrate You think you really do? I, I do, because the thing is that the market constantly perpetuates itself. So everything about sales is around driving the the quick book and also driving the consumer to buy again. So if it's really complicated to sell it to you, it, people struggle to take it. But it's, very, it's always been very easy to say, this is twice as powerful as last year's graphic card, or this is 8K, which is... Clearly, twice as good as 4K, blah, blah, blah. So I think that's where a lot of it will go. Um, I, I, whether we use, utilize it properly and, and we fight back or developers and companies fight back, I don't know. But I, I can still see that if that does happen at that level, which I don't see why it wouldn't, I, I do suspect that 8K will become a big thing because then it kind of then means you've got to replace your screens. You've got to buy probably different cables. You can have a whole new HDMI standard all over again. All the, and that, that's the market going, way. Hey, everyone's happy because we're just, we're just consistently, you know, creating new avenues for us to resell you the same thing. So I think that's what will happen inevitably. Um, if you just left developers and look at the retro scene for this, if you left developers working on the same hardware, they'd still be doing great things on it. There's still stuff coming out of the Commodore 64 and New Amiga now that is incredible. Um, and the, the hardware hasn't changed, but, tricks and techniques have uh, and i think that's that's just something that i wish we spent more time giving people that time but unfortunately it's all about selling new things so gpus will will help fundamentally in a lot of areas but they won't change anything until we stop trying to chase the next big ticket which is which will be 8k um and probably vr vr might might be something if pc really pushes on and um there's something competing against psvr2 then then it might be a big area that they could utilize the gpus to get you know quality we see now in but in vr that that would be nice that would be amazing in fact yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to talk about VR, but I do have to say, I don't know that I agree about the 8K thing. I think for sure well, we already have 8K screens somewhere on the mark. You know, uh, well, we already have 8K TVs, um, mm. you know, at Best Buy. Uh, but I, I think that, I don't know, I'm sure you'll remember back around 2013, 2014 is when 4K first started coming out. And I remember AMD making a huge deal about it with their... 290x and actually the big deal was it even run it at 30 frames because you couldn't even do that before the 290x came out and then microsoft had eventually like a maxwell come out and they advertised the um they advertised the 980 ti and the titan maxwell as being 4k ready and like look you can even get to 60 if you turn down a couple of settings but i don't think most people bought into it i think i distinctly remember back then 4K 60 being a thing, but prices not getting to where we thought they 
1440p costing more for the amount of pixels you get than I expected for a very long time because I think most people were fine with 1440p. So I actually don't know. I just don't, anyone I talk to, I don't know anyone who cares about 8K. They don't even really care about 5K. And half of the people don't seem to care about 4K. I, I, I think actually my opinion is we they might have a real pickle here where besides ray tracing, and I agree with VR 100%, I'm not sure how they're going to sell you on why you need four times the graphics performance, especially when I look at FSR and the people I've talked to uh, say FSR 2.0 matches DLSS 2.3 in quality, roughly speaking, from what they're seeing behind the scenes. So right there, boom, just another 30, 50% performance boost on top. So again, like imagine if in two years we have four times the performance, but also FSR and DLSS are giving us another 50% on top of that, effectively six times the image quality. I, I don't know. I think there's going to be a real, maybe I'll be wrong, but I think that it's going to be, I think actually you'll always be able to sell the high end to the rich. You will. But I think in the mid range, it's going to become harder and harder for them to justify why someone should buy the new, maybe not $1,000 card, but $500. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that you hit the nail on the head. No one really wanted 4K, but it, it, it took over quite quickly. It put, did it it took forever in my opinion but maybe i was just in bullish the PC on space, it absolutely wrong. but in in the mainstream market the, the uptake was quite mm. quick i mean 2013 like what was it less than one percent had a 4k screen and by 2016 it was like 20, 30 35 40 percent it it becomes this like we're just going to move over to our, everyone's going to make 4k panels you screwed you can't get a 1080p screen um that's where I see it happening is it is is that being the situation. I'm hope I'm wrong. I absolutely mm. do hope I'm wrong. I do. So you definitely seem to think because of TV upticks that at least consoles will try to market 8K like yeah. crazy. Yeah, and and I think uh, I think that then on on by proxy you'll see Nvidia saying it also fully supports 8K mm. at 120 hertz, and it's like, well, in that case, then I'll plug it into my because at some point you've got to get to the point of saying if I've got 8K, I need to have a screen the size of my wall <laughs> because if I've got a 40 inch 8K, there's no point in it. <laughs> I mean, look, I can tell the difference even on somewhat smaller screens, but when I play Demon Souls, it looks sharp to me. So yeah. <laughs> can I tell the difference? Yes. Would I pay more? I'd pay 20% more. I'm not paying $1,000. <laughs> That's where I'm at at this yeah, point. I'm um, but but uh, I mean, I would pay more. I'm just not paying $1,000. But um, you mentioned it, so let's let's get into it. VR. So... What do you, and I don't know if there's even anything you can tell us that you've heard as well, but like, what do you, I guess, let's, let's, let's just make this the PSVR discussion. Let me just open it up. There it is, PSVR spec. So the PSVR has 2000 by 2040 per eye, which is actually higher resolution than I expected. I thought it'd be 1440p per eye. Actually, what we're seeing is a bit higher than 1440p per eye. OLED HDR, I don't think that's surprising. Refresh rates of 90 or 120 frames per second. So same as before, again, not that surprising. Field of view is 110 degrees, which I think is a little low for a VR, VR device, but I think it's actually higher than the PSVR one. And of course it has the six axis motion sensors, cameras all over the headset itself. So you don't need to set up a bunch of lighthouses. Um, and then of course it's got the fancy new controller with a few new types of input. What do you think about PSVR 2? I mean, what have you heard? I mean, there's so many places we can go. Just your your initial reactions. Do the specs impress you? Uh, yeah, I think I think for a, for a mainstream VR box, it's it's really really good. And I think that they've Sony have spent a long time working on it. I think 
they've thought about a lot of things. A lot of people don't talk about it, but it's, the optics are very important. The optics of because everything's magnified for your eyes. It's magnified for the distance from your eye where you look, and then they've worked hard on that. So there's a lot of stuff in terms of the VR that I think will be impressive once you put it on your head. So the specs only tell a part of the story. So it's probably what I'm saying is more than some of the parts. So. Some of the things that, that I know is coming out and it is working on heavily, which it has to, to utilise the, the performance for the PS5, is the fact that it's got a single cable, which is, which is I did hope it would use the, the Wi-Fi mm-hmm. 6 functionality Me on there. Me too. And there were many rumours that I'm sure they had a prototype that didn't have a cable. For sure they did. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think it's all around, potentially, I think, it's all around that back. It's only one cable. So um, I don't know what, what, that, what that is used for, but they're absolutely using the Wi-Fi 6 as part of the VR headset. They're absolutely using it. And that might just be around the haptics. It might be around the, the control. You know that for a fact from talking to people, that the Wi-Fi 6 is still carrying a lot of the information for it. it. I, know it's, I know it's being used. That's what I've been told. It's being used. So I'm not, I, don't know, I don't know what it's being used for, but my assumption hmm. is it's, it's something to do with the haptic feedbacks, the, the the gyroscopic motion sensors, and probably the tracking as well, the inside-outside tracking. So there's a lot of stuff on the box and the headset itself that's been designed around making it comfortable. The, the, I think the haptics are going to be heavily underutilized, well, heavily missed until people try it because having your headset that vibrates sounds stupid, but it makes really good sense for sickness because one of the reasons why people get sick quickly in VR, and this is one of the things they're probably working on very heavily, is to try and make it more comfortable for a bigger audience is... People put it on, they get disorientated because they're, you know, they're stepping downstairs, but their head's not moving, they're not feeling any motion, or they're driving a the car and it's not wobbling. So I think just having a small amount of movement that's in sync with the screen will heavily reduce people's sickness, which means more people will, will uptake on the VR. And I think that's a good thing. I'm definitely impressed with that. And then secondly is that around the fact that they're using not only the favated viewing, um, but also the eye tracking. So those two areas, mm-hmm. and I've seen a Unity presentation that I've, I've just done a video on today. So it's going to be all talking about it, where they're getting, you know, again, I stress this a lot. When people say percentage uptick on performance, you have to take into account its best case scenarios. But they're getting anywhere mm-hmm. between two and a half to three point six percent higher performance when they use favated viewing, and then three point six when they use that. And yeah, I, three point three point times, not three point. Sorry, yeah, three three point six times. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so that's insane. They, they are essentially on one of the tests. They're going from like a, a thirty FPS title to a, to an eighty FPS title by doing this, and there's no visible perception of reduction in image quality because it's all designed around your peripheral mm-hmm. vision is not as high quality because that's just how the the human vision system works. And this is what I mean about they spent a lot of time thinking about it, and they did this a lot in in the original PSVR, but it was it was software based and it was a bit weak, and a lot of games did it, not just in PC, not just in um, PS4, but also PC. So they mm-hmm. reduced the resolution almost a little bit like VRS, so a little like variable rate shading, but not quite the same. It's it blurs the edges around, so it focuses the resolution and performance in the center of the screen. And on top of that, wherever you're specifically looking, it, it moves it as your eyes move. So just like you, you look around right. your room now, you've looked into the corner, it's blurry, but when you move your eyes over there, it goes clear. So it's using that to maximize performance. And that really means that you'll, you'll be able to get very impressive-looking titles in there that are you know, up with better than what we saw on PS4 Pro at its best. So... I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of PSVR 2. I think the specs are very good. The wire is always going to be a contentious one because wireless is always the best way to do it, but obviously they've they've hit a limit there. They have to do it. But I'll be very interested to see that and how the actual um, the motion sensing controls work, which 
let's be honest, look very similar to one we may have seen already. <laughs> I think they're almost the same design. There, is there? There's no battery though in this. You have to plug it in, right? Yeah, yeah that that is absolutely one one of the key points. Yeah, so there's definitely power involved in that cable. I was gonna say, like, the more I think about it, that I'm like, oh, you know what? It if because I didn't know it still used a lot of Wi-Fi six. I wonder if they effectively got it working. But then they said to put the battery in adds a hundred dollars. Then you need to charge it, and it weighs more. And they said remove the battery for power reasons, and this will allow us to bring out a wireless version that costs more if we want to. I wonder if that's what they're doing then, because that's because I always heard they were trying to make it wireless, and I had a network engineer on Broken Silicon, I think all the way back in 2019, where these rumors were already was it 20? It may have been the beginning of 2020, and these rumors were getting going and. He said, no, Wi-Fi 6 for sure has the latency required to send the frames. It's just it costs more. And, yeah, so so that's it. I didn't know it still used it, though. I assumed that they kept the wire to just send the communications that way. But it sounds like you're saying it's probably just for, at least what I'm hearing, it kind of sounds like it's mostly just for power. I I, I don't know. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the pa- that, right, that, yeah, we're not 100%, power is definitely going to be part of it. Um, you know, like you say, weight of a battery and obviously cost. Cost is going to be important. They need to come in at a pretty decent cost. I, I think a similar price to PSVR 1 will be their target. Whether they hit it, again, all points that cost reductions and whatever they can do to keep the price down as low as possible. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure... In fact, I was expecting to see something in the public eye this week. I was I was thinking that this was one of the things that they were going to uh, release because I I'd, I'd spoken to someone that was that was you know aware of the of the hardware in mm-hmm. terms of developers. I know I know a lot of developers have got it, but for whatever reason it hasn't come out. But there's definitely going to be stuff seen soon this year. That, that is hundred percent. In fact, if it doesn't launch this year, I'd be surprised. But we'll see. It might might slip. Yeah, I, I expected this here for sure. I'm looking at some recent rumors going around, and it does seem like there was rumors a few days ago that it would be shown off. It's funny, you know, people should know that we're recording this on April 3rd. I think there's a high chance this podcast drops when they announce more information about it. And this part may not age badly, but, you know, I, I guess, you know, maybe we can uh, make ourselves look stupid then. I mean, like, what do you think this thing is going to cost? I kind of doubt they'll announce it next week. I'm guessing they'll just announce it's coming out this year and show off some games. But what, from my perspective, this is not an insane VR device, but this is not a budget device. This beats most devices I've seen by quite a lot, actually, besides field of view. And I think they've got real exclusive like rumble features that'll give them a leg up too, like differentiating factors. What I mean to say, like, do you think, I think at a minimum, this costs 300 for the thing for both controllers and the headset, but I guess they don't need that stupid box anymore that you've got a Jerry rig to it. Maybe cuts down on cost. I I don't know. Do you think it could cost 500 or do you think it's for sure? Like what what do you think it'll cost? I think they're going to go in for $399 as, as before. I think that's their target price. I think they can do it. It might be 499, but I think that that's what they'll go for if they can. But um, that's just what I assume. And I think we agreed on the PS5 and Series X's price, right? I think that was back when everyone was saying it's going to cost eight hundred dollars. Yeah, we did, yeah. And we're we're like, no, it's going to be five hundred, like every time, guys. Because <laughs> yeah, it's a big factor, and and I think that this is this is really where Sony have their USP because no one Xbox are not getting into VR, um, and therefore it's it's a big big market that. Maybe not big in in the UK, maybe not big in America overall, but 
big in a lot of other countries and overall there's a no, there's a big enough market there to to sell and expand on and i think that's that's impressive if they put the effort in that they've been showing again i think if this one doesn't do very well though it could be the end of it all that's my other fear yeah, I mean, they've got a Horizon game that we know of. Who knows, maybe when this podcast drops, they'll announce <laughs> some other game. Uh, now I'm worrying about that. But I think they need, honestly, I mean, you know, what, what I think would sell it the most is if they got Half-Life Alex on it. I think that should they should be begging Valve to put Half-Life Alex on it, to Damn, be honest. Have you played it? No, I haven't. I I should have by now, but it's like you can kind of see my office. Like, it's got plenty of room, but I don't know if I'd want to hook it up here. I have room in my living room, but I'd have to move a table out of the way. And I don't, you know, I, I, I want to play it eventually. I, and I love the Half-Life series, so I'm like target demo to play that game. Um, I have not, but I think it sounds like you agree. If they got Half-Life Alex on the PS5, that would be a killer seller. It would. It'd be amazing. Um, and the fact that you've seen um, God of War on the Steam Deck, I think that there's definitely conversations going on there in terms of, uh, you know, patting each other on the back. And that makes perfect sense because they're not really in the same ballpark. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me if Valve ported it to the PSVR 2. It would certainly give them a very good base. Um, but yeah, I bought a, a Quest 2 for it. <laughs> I, I just, I had to. Yeah. I mean, what I would say is I'm not promising that I think I'm not saying I'm sure this will happen because I think there's no doubt Half-Life Alex was built to sell, you know, Valve's product itself. But at the same time, enough time has passed. It's been years. I think there's a certain point where it's like they bring Horizon to PC because it's like you've had like three, five years or whatever by the time it came out to play this game on PlayStation. You know, <laughs> like now we're just going to sell it on PC. Who cares? I do think that there is a calculation there, though, with Valve where eventually they say the same thing. Hey, we sold as many VR units as we could out of the gate. Let's now move it to the PlayStation to make more money. And then we can also use it to advertise an 8K version on PC or something. Silly, uh, absolutely. You know, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um yeah, and it, it would it, it would get a bigger audience for a game. It's not I mean it's got a big audience anyway, but it is absolutely incredible game. But that's the funny thing too is it's like like most people would say they need a big PlayStation exclusive to sell PSVR too, and I would go, I yeah, but they <laughs> those cost a hundred million dollars to make, so I don't think it's going to be exclusive to PSVR too. What they really need is Half Life Alex, and then they'll make other smaller games for PSVR because they still don't feel like we're going to see like an exclusive resistance or kill zone on VR. Like it's going to be workable on the main console because they have to recoup the cost. Right. Well, what, what I've heard from, from a couple of developers speaking to them is the fact that the big push here is to make it integrated. So it will be far more viable for teams to make a VR option in games, even to the point where um, the unity engine mm. talk I discussed that they, they've got options in their SDKs for you able to just, have a, a split out view on the screen that's not just the person's view it could be a third person view so they're certainly making this with the with the whole streaming view in mind so i think there's going to be a lot of integration in terms of and subsidies early on for teams to go stay like like they did with, with resident evil um seven you know i was gonna say like announce resident evil 8 in vr which really wouldn't surprise me at all and it, I'll go replay that game again. I love that game. And I mean, honestly, I've heard Cyberpunk's actually really good in VR. So get a Cyberpunk working mm. on VR on native PS5. I think that I agree. That's the path because at least if you can get every third, most third party games or even half of them really to use VR, what you can at least argue is, hey, don't you already like Cyberpunk? 
now you can be in Night City on the PS5. And I think, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the sensible and maybe even the best marketable way forward to get people to buy it more so than, oh, you've got to get Killzone 4. I don't actually think, yeah, I don't even think, like, I don't think Killzone 4 is going to sell it as well as honestly resident evil 8 in vr i really don't think it yeah, would yeah yeah like you say there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity here that vr hasn't been tapped at all in fact it feels very much said this before I'm like if vr still feels like early video games there's so much potential there and if we're just trying to find our feet and there's a lot of good inspiration going on in that market so i do hope that this you know it improves the market for everybody not just for, for playstation but for pc as well because mm-hmm. Without PC and PlayStation, there's just there wouldn't there wouldn't be any VR. We'd still be just stuck on 2D. And a flat screen's great, but VR is like the arcades of days gone by, which is it's all about the experience rather than just the game. Well, you mentioned two of the platforms. Michael Woodward writes in and he says, Since we are talking about PSVR, I'd like to ask if there's any hint of VR coming to Xbox. I know Phil Spencer doesn't think VR would be something people would want on an Xbox console, but I just think another VR competitor would be nice for the market. I doubt it. Um, they did that whole um, what was it called that they did the the Hololens. Um, yeah, there was that. Yeah, and I, and I thought, wow, here we go, we're going to do something really good, and that could have been potential. But for whatever reason, it was either mothballed or they just didn't. They decided it it wasn't viable. I actually talked to someone who uses it in like um, engineering work. Like mm. apparently, they've got a lot of contracts with Boeing and stuff to like in. AR see the dimensions of screws on it like so they can check dimensions of things as they walk by an airplane quickly but it seems like it's mostly industrial mm. and professional use not really for gaming at all yeah that actually makes perfect sense and that's that that would be a very good use for it i just think it would make a great great use for you know games i think it would work perfectly if, if it was pushed forward and microsoft certainly have the clout and the money and the backing to do that i would love for them to enter the vr space but i, I don't think they will anytime soon if at all I have heard zero indications and people know like um, I've interviewed people at Xbox Studios people uh, it's not just you know Sony I've interviewed people in third party and Xbox Studios no one has anything to say about VR uh, but why either on the record or off the record so at least right now there is no smoke to any fire on that one um and you know it's funny to see sony focus on this i guess they have their own game streaming but i also feel like in some ways vr is insurance because for sony's business model because you're not streaming vr just wouldn't work because of latency so like if there's one thing you can do to make sure people would want to buy a console it's make vr a real thing because you can't get replaced by stadia you know with that yeah, it's a good point. Very good point. Yeah. It's a shame as well. It's a shame think... there's not more people in there because competition breeds, you know, creativity. So it's it would be good to see Microsoft in that space, but I doubt they'll end I bet it. Sony would be doing much more if Xbox had their own VR device. I guarantee Sony would be pushing it hard. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. It keeps everyone on their toes, doesn't it? Yeah. But speaking of streaming, Mustang BBC 3060 tie writes in and he says, hey, Tom and NX... With the fall of Google Stadia, do you think other cloud gaming platforms like GeForce Now, xCloud, Amazon Luna will follow suit? Why are gamers reluctant to subscribe to these services? It seems so revolutionary when Stadia was announced. Yeah, I'll let you answer before I give my opinion on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like I was going first. You go first, Tom, and I'll, I'll go after you. That's... Yes, they're going to fail. That's my opinion. And they're going to keep failing because no one wants to pay $15 a month for integrated graphics streaming. I mean, that is honestly where I'm at at this point. I think programs like xCloud and 
PlayStation Now, which is we're about to get to it, like PlayStation Plus Premium, these supplement existing services. So being able to play a PlayStation game on your PC every now and then, stream PS3 games because Sony just continues to drop the ball with backwards compatibility, that type of thing, those are going to stay. But in terms of a platform that is just streaming, again, I think GeForce might stick around because it's supplementing other services. But I don't see something like Luna or Stadia taking off anytime soon in a real way. That's my opinion. Cannot disagree with you. The the, the, the core risk here is it's still latency still too high. You can get around it. You can improve it. It's certainly getting much better. But generally, people that are going to be into streaming technology are going to be people that are into gaming technology as a whole. So they're going to just buy a box locally. And like you say, no one likes to pay for something they can have in their house, buy it once and play it forever. So it's still it needs something to entice you in. And there's nothing there. It's It's literally... Buy our online solution and play online and generally get a worse experience than having it in, in, on your local console or PC. Well, there doesn't seem to be an attraction there. But like you say, GeForce Now has a reason to exist, as does xCloud. Um, it supplements mm-hmm. Game Pass. So, yeah, like you say, it makes sense. It's, it's, it doesn't need to succeed. It just needs to increase the subscription rate. Exactly. And they're probably using those same servers for other... My understanding is... Talking to a Microsoft engineer who's using like the Series X for, well, xCloud, because <laughs> a Series X APU is built to also stream for 1080p instances. Um, they're also using it for running some game servers now. Like, so mm. if not a lot of people are using xCloud, whatever, we're using the server to do other things based on load. So I think for people like Microsoft and Sony, and Sony often uses Microsoft servers <laughs> for their stuff. Um I think it's fine, but I just, and this is something I keep coming back to, is it's like, my the way Google was going to solve latency, supposedly, was by having these mega hubs of graphics card servers all over the world, and then they found they needed to have more and more and more, and they're like, well, if you're in a major city, it works well, otherwise you got to be within this amount of distance, and at a certain point, I'm like, so what, you need to be within the same town? Is this even any more effective than buying a console? I don't get it. Like, I think you keep coming, and, and as much as the quality goes up like now i have google fiber now which is amazing (laughs) and that can certainly stream 4k could probably stream 8k if it was a thing um but the thing is just now we're getting to streaming 4k games i can play 4k games on a box that per year isn't much more expensive and i can keep it the whole time so i feel like the argument that latency and bandwidth keep getting better for online also ignores that the box keeps getting stronger every few years. And so every time you get the infrastructure better, the box is still just $500 and can do whatever your streaming does. And it might even be a lower resolution. Maybe it's not in 4K60 all the time, but it sure looks better than the compressed 4K60 you're sending. You know, so I I don't know. I I, I just feel that what we've seen is so far, I, I just, I really think, and, and, and everything I'm saying now is not hindsight 2020. Everything I'm saying now is what I said when Stadia came out. And I thought this was going to be their initiative. I thought if you made it to supplement the market, it would be cool. Like, it's not to stream 4K60 or make people abandon consoles. I thought the whole point, and they showed this off, Google showed this off, was that you could have a Play Now ad for, like, Assassin's Creed Odyssey pop-up. You click the button, you actually don't need to download the game, and that'd be a great way for people to try out games in 720p for free, and because it's live-streamed, they could even have dynamic ads pop up. Like, if it was Watch Dogs Legion, 
and you just get to it says an ad pops up play now for free for 30 minutes click it you're literally playing right now the billboards could be the latest nike ad or something and then you can recoup the cost that way i always i always thought the point of this was to stream lower quality to people who weren't going to buy the game anyways and make money that way but all i've seen is them trying to replace rtx 3080s and it doesn't replace a 3080 man no you're right it doesn't make sense it it's I don't think the the business case around this has been thought out correctly. Um, it works. It does its job. There'll still be thousands and potentially millions of people that will, that will subscribe to the services that are out there, but it will never be the replacement they think it is until they do something drastic. What that is, I don't know. But latency is and will always be you know, a real thing. The speed of light is a very real <laughs> restriction. Like, we're never getting better than that anyways, and it seems like people can notice that. Um, so... Let me move on to kind of one of the final things to talk about here. Then it was one of the things that spurred me to find you have you on. So just so people know, I've been talking to you about having you on for actually, I think about half a year now. And it's just like, just wait for enough news to come out. And one of those was PlayStation Plus Premium, which I expect you're going to, you have a lot to say about it. I mean, I I, I don't know. There's been rumors probably since Game Pass was even a thing that Sony would have some response to it. PlayStation Plus Premium seems like the start of them trying to compete or have an answer to is the best way to probably phrase it to Game Pass. Like, like, what do you think about what Sony's announced so far? I think it's a safe option of expanding their current platform. They they saw that PS Now and PS Plus were kind of competing with each other and, and potentially they were losing sales themselves or stealing sales themselves. I think they've had a good choice around their whole strategy in terms of release a game on consoles give it a couple of years release it on pc this is just an an extension of that so this is them thinking about what can we do to grab a a bigger pot of that audience and potentially some pc players who don't have a console and think to themselves okay I'll, i'll pay for this i'll stream online and play some of the old games i played as a kid or whatever and I think that's just them hedging their bets. That they're not going after Game Pass. I don't think they'll ever go after Game Pass. And they, they said the same thing that I think I think we said it last time on the on the chat talk about Game Pass. The the problem with Game Pass is it doesn't it's not financially viable for the games that Sony make. And that's just we said that before, and that's always the case. Their their games cost millions to make. You can't have a service that's giving you I don't know, how many games are on Game Pass now? Three hundred, five hundred? I don't know. There's there's a there's a lot. Um, I don't know. I'm curious. Let me have look. a quick look. But there's certainly a huge portion. Everyone has to get a, a slice of that pie. So you have to get huge numbers. Over 100, yeah. it says, as of now. So over 100 games. So that over 100 potentially publishers and even developers, depending who's got the deal, are going to get paid every month from everyone's subscription. So that, that just doesn't work. And I hate to use the Netflix reference, but why Netflix cancel things so quickly? It's why they... Because the, the whole model around Game Pass and Netflix is the same, which is hype model. It's all around not main... It doesn't matter whether I make a great show and my million subscribers watch it every month. That doesn't make me any money. What makes me money is another million people subscribing. So it's all built on the hype model. Mm. Sony aren't doing that. What they're trying to do is, is give you reasons to keep subscribing, and you might already be a current customer. So for me, I'd never subscribe just to get access to PS1, PS2, PS3 games. I've got a PS3, PS2, PS1. Mm-hmm. You know, PS3 is one of the, the best. Ironically, the one machine they can't emulate is one of the best machines they made that emulated everything else before it. But um, I, I can see the market. <laughs> yeah, there. that's true, because it can play PS1 games, PS2. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. You can do all that on it. So it was the one that did everything, and then, then you can't do it again. But... Uh, <laughs> 
I it's not for me. It's not for me. There's some good stuff on there, and I think it's good that they've merged it. I think the price is pretty competitive at the moment. It could always be better. It all it all depends on how much they stick on the, on there for the backwards compatibility stuff and whether or not they they expand that consistently. I think they've they've made a a, a safe choice. I'll give it that. It, it, I don't think it's groundbreaking. I think the announcement was very weird, very low key, very subtle. I mean, we spoke. Yes, we spoke I about agree. It. It's just. Um, it was a very strange situation in terms of we, we knew it was coming. Everyone there was talk about it, but it, it did come very low key. So I don't know whether something changed or they had something wrapped up with it. But just the way they announced it, I was almost embarrassed of it. Like we're updating PS now. <laughs> bye. All right. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and just to correct myself, I'm sure there's already 20 angry comments. Uh, it's over 50 touch control games for Game Pass, over 250 cloud enabled, and over 250 Windows PC, and over 430 games if you have PC and all Xbox consoles. It just depends which console they actually have it on. I want to make sure, because for sure someone's going to attack me for saying over 100. Sorry, that was the first thing that popped up on Google, guys. <laughs> I apologize. But um, it's over 400. Don't kill me. But um, yeah, I, I think that you're right. And I think we keep seeing this out of Sony over the past two years where it's not like PS3's launch. Like, they know what they're doing. They're firing pretty much on all cylinders. They're releasing tons of great games that are hard to compete with. Everything's going mostly well. But in their messaging, you've got, was it the, isn't the CEO Jim Ryan being like, let's play games, and he's holding the controller entirely incorrectly. You've got these weird announcements where sometimes there's a huge announcement, but sometimes they're just like, hey, this giant thing. That's it. Whispers, like whispers it and walks away. There is some weird inconsistency about how they message and the fanfare around their messages. I don't know what that is. And I think this was one of those examples where they kind of just whimpered it out and walked away. It it seemed like it. Yeah. I mean, their whole, maybe they had a bigger plan. Maybe they were going to do more with it. Maybe they had an announcement lined up and it didn't happen, but as it stands, it's definitely a strategic plan that they've had in place, but for whatever mm -hmm. reason, they didn't wrap it up in a bigger presentation pack. But maybe somebody internally went, do you know what? This is just going to fall flat. Let's just get it out there and change the pricing and do it in June. It might also be that there just wasn't enough fanfare around PlayStation recently that did it to try and build some hype. There's lots of reasons why companies make announcements and decisions. Sometimes it doesn't make sense outside, but... I was a little, I wouldn't say disappointed, but I didn't really have high expectations of it anyway. But mm -hmm. I don't think anyone's going to jump on board. And the fact that it's not even ready yet, doesn't change till June, is also makes it even weirder. Yeah, and the messaging around that was weird. Did you see they were like, we're rolling this out in Asia first in June and plan to have it rolled out in all major territories by the end of the first half of the year. And I'm like, the end of the first half of the year is June. Why don't you just say by the end of June? <laughs> what a weird way to word that. No. Like, I don't know if anyone noticed. It was really weird. Like, a lot of the messaging. And and for me, I just feel like what they did was the bare minimum. I mean, look, the PS Now, I looked it up before when the announcement happened, was $60. PS Plus, $60. They just combined them. I mean, and added a few more features. I mean, I think that's really it. I Honestly, I think, I thought this was probably what they the type of thing they would do. But I was really kind of hoping that they'd be more aggressive. Like, that they'd say, there's one tier. It's $80, and it's the top tier. Like, and I know we're raising the price on PlayStation Plus, but now you have 500 games. But I think they know they'd lose money if everyone, I, I don't know though, maybe they think that wouldn't be worth it or that they'd piss people off. But I, I, 
But that's the type of aggressive action it takes to really compete with Game Pass is being willing to say, hey, no, you have to get this if you want the full features. Because I think that's a niche they could fill that would allow them to compete is if they were like, hey, it costs more than PS Plus did, but not much more. And it's almost Game Pass. So don't don't buy an Xbox. Just get this instead. But they didn't do that. They really just combined the cost of two existing services. Yeah. And I, and I think that one, that's not what because Sony aren't about that. They're still about the single player experience. It's still about you owning a game and, and buying into that, that constantly funding that process they've got of making these, you know, really high production quality. I said this before, they're kind of like the Hollywood uh, in quotes of video games. And I think that any subscription model doesn't do that, but what it does do is if you merge them together, it means you maximize that potential in terms of using your old catalog and still earning revenue from it. So it may, from a business perspective, it makes perfect sense. And it also means it just refreshes both PS Now and PS Plus. So again, that, that can just push a little bit more into the market to get people to subscribe that have been dropping off. I believe they had a dropout of people subscribing to it because he went back to work. So this is a good way to just merge the two and potentially make a little bit more money at the you know for, for quarter end or potentially next quarter when they actually get it working but like i say along with you it was a strange announcement that probably didn't make a huge amount of sense it wasn't one that i was expecting this week was it last week this week i expected it in june but yeah i thought it would be like at e3 or around there during the summers when they'd really reveal it but instead they've just revealed it now which is interesting um I, I think one thing that surprised me as I was doing research for this is I knew Game Pass had over 20 million subscribers. What I did not know is that PlayStation Plus, to my knowledge, has almost 50 million concurrent subscribers, which tells you, oh, so this is PlayStation Plus is already really successful. It's already making them tons of money. I think actually they're just scared to lose any more of that 46 million, whatever it is. Yes. And they want to upsell them. I think that's because I didn't know they had double the subscribers of Game Pass. I mean, you'd expect it to be more. It's cheaper. But I know it's that much more. And so I think I think they might think there might be some market saturation going on. And what we need to do is both upsell our existing base and make it so they don't leave for Game Pass. Like, we need to give them an option to stay on the PlayStation. But that's it. I don't think they did anything to bring in new people. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, it makes perfect sense. Just could have been could have been delivered better. All right. So moving forward, I guess I've got a couple of, like, wrap-up discussions here. I'm just going to throw this one in. I, I almost didn't ask it because I thought it was... I'm tired of people asking me, but I thought it'd be funny to bring it up. So Jeremy Dalton writes in and he says, anything else you can tell us about a MGS remake? Anything, please. <laughs> and my answer was, yeah, it's coming right after Halo Infinite's co-op and Bloodborne remaster comes out. Because <laughs> I don't know what's going on anymore, guys. Like, I looked this up, too, because I realized, oh, wait, is Infinite's co-op even out yet? And I Googled it. Apparently, it might not come out till August, a, a co-op mode. And... Bloodborne, I don't know. I, I mean, everyone says that the remaster is a thing, but it's not out yet. So I don't know. I honestly might be done leaking some game stuff I hear because it just is so inconsistent. I think it has a, even if I know it's true when it, I'm told it, it just has a chance of hurting credibility. Like there's just all of these, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. Like if you can say anything about those specific games coming out or what you think about all these rumored games that we still haven't seen anything from. Well, I mean, uh, there's there's definitely stuff that I've I've spoken to people about that I I know exists that I can't say. But Metal Gear Solid Remake is one that I heard separate, and I heard that it was 
pretty far on in development. It was, you know. Me too. Yeah, I heard it was, it was like it was, well, well, well. So it's not something that, but, but then again, even that wouldn't be, you know, untrue that somebody somewhere went, Do you know what, pull it. It's not going to happen for whatever reason. Games can be completely finished and never get released. That happens all the time. So um, who knows? I, I just think that it's been a very strange two years in, in terms of development not just the pandemic. I think there's just been a lot of flux in the industry, a lot of things going on, a lot of, you know, shifting of priorities and what's important and what's going where and who's going to market what, and certainly what, what will sell. Uh, you know, Metal Gear Solid Remake would have sold huge amounts two years ago. <laughs> I think so. But, it, but but it might not sell that many now because the market's moved on. I don't know. It, I would love to know where the hell it is and what's going on with it, but Yeah. I mean, that's what people, you know, that's what people ask me, too, is like, so, like, what, like, is that wrong? And I'm like, no, these are the same people that have told me a bunch of other things. I know these people know it's true. I just don't know where it is. And I'm just as annoyed as everyone else that it's not out, to be honest. Like, and I thought, and and I thought we even got some clear teasers from Bluepoint on it, too, that they're at least involved. But so far, nothing, you know? I I don't know. It's it's coming straight before or after Silent Hill remake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I don't I, I don't know. I and the Bloodborne one's the crazier one too. I was thinking about that the other day because I guess just recently Dark Souls One was patched to run at sixty frames on Xbox One X and Series X, but it's still in nine hundred P, which is interesting because I guess Dark Souls Three on PS4 I think was like ten eighty P thirty. They had a patch for the PS4 Pro that let it run at 60, and then they just like a month ago patched it for 60 frames on Series X, but it's still stuck in the Xbox One 900p. And then I thought to myself, well, wait a second, though. Dark Souls 3 came out after Bloodborne. Why have they patched Dark Souls 3 to get 60 frames and not Bloodborne? What is going on with that, too? There's definitely a a reason behind it uh, it's whether or not that'll ever come true the fact that they've patched that particular game though was that patched by the developers or by was that a bc patch by xbox uh i don't remember i, to, I, uh, I, I didn't I, know that myself i'll check that myself that's, that's i know it's info. it's bonkers i mean it could have been a, a, a weird rate. bc title that they've managed to fix and patched and just done it via their um their frame rate boost that they got which Kind of would make sense, um, but if it's a developer patch, then maybe whatever they're working on was related to that particular engine. If they did unlock it, then it would probably fix it with the amount of power it's got in there just by pushing it. In fact, didn't mm-hmm. didn't that Lance McDonald do a um, a patch for it that actually unlocked it in terms of running it at 720p? It runs at 60 fps on the PS4 Pro. On a, oh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he, 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 he patched the actual game itself. So we know it can do it, and it might even be based on, on the the Dark Souls One engine, maybe that's the, from software testing it. I, I think there's some there's some fire in what you're saying. That, that we, we've heard too much about this for too long to think that, that, that again. What you said, there's no smoke without fire. There's definitely smoke here. So there's 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 some fire at some point, and it's a big game for Sony. So it's one that I mean, it's one of their IPs. It'd be a waste, and knowing seeing what they've done with all these ten dollar upgrades I, I assume at this point that they haven't patched bloodborne because they have a remaster coming that will be 4k 60 but i don't know for sure because it actually has been quiet for a while you mm-hmm. know all i hear is it's still a thing and then it's like okay well 
been years. But man, they, they, but they could do both, like they did with Ghost of Tsushima. They could still patch it to 16, but nothing else changes, and then actually get a remaster that's been rebuilt like Demon Souls was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, how is there any amount of like? And there's been a lot of rumored games, by the way. Let's just be clear. Like, uh, like for example, I've heard about what Elder Scrolls Six, but of course they've announced that by now. But I had heard about that before they announced it and stuff. And then there's, and God knows when that's coming out, maybe a decade from now. And then you've also got, you know, the Bloodborne remake, Metal Gear Solid remake, the Silent Hills rumors keep popping up. Although that's weird because Konami started showing some weird Silent Hills-ish things. So now I don't even know about that anymore, too. There's been a lot of room, <laughs> The Last of Us factions. Where the hell is that? <laughs> like, I assume it's just its own. Div- I've actually heard it's more like a fully fledged Division 2 like game now. Um, so that explains that one, but I don't know. I wonder all of these games, and I think there were other ones too that there were that were whispered that weren't announced. Like, I don't know, I can throw out a honestly, from what I've been told by some people, it's like whatever you think they're working on, they probably are, you know, like so from SOCOM to a million other things. How much of it do you think is just now is not a good time to release a game? Because what have we had? We've had we just had Gran Turismo 7, Elden Ring, which has sucked all the oxygen out of the air. <laughs> Uh, her, her, I mean, it, I feel bad for games that release next to it. Uh, Horizon Fit in, Forbidden West. A new Borderlands came out. No one even noticed. <laughs> um, like, and then what else? There's another one. I know there's another one that's just cut, Dying Light yeah. 2. Just, like, this year so far has been insane. And last year was pretty damn good for releases, too, later in the year. So do you think any of this is, like... From Sony's perspective, if they have an MGS remake, they're like, are we really going to, you know, release this next to... I don't even remember what games came out late last year. I know there was a couple. Um, Are we really going to release it next to these games? Like, we have to save this and just polish it more. Like, do you think any of that's going on? Or do you think... I mean, you you seem to know specific examples. Do you think a lot of them are something else? I I think it's all around um, development drives. People have had to re-establish themselves by working remotely for so long. That has a knock-on effect. Some teams have done well, some teams have not. And if no one's felt their own, it's just very hard. I think what we're seeing is a knock-on effect of that, well, ripple effect of the impact from the pandemic and people, you know, not being able to go into the office. There's been a lot of delays. So there's a lot of stuff you can do locally, which is not as efficient, but then there's a lot of stuff you can't do. So you can't go motion capture. You can't do, you know, voiceover, or at least to the level you want to. You can't do storyboarding sessions mm. and all that as easily as you could before. And you certainly can't develop, you know, and do all your scrums and stand up and everything else very easily when you're not used to doing that. You're used to, you know, bouncing ideas off the person behind you at a desk. So there's a knock on effect and that I think Sony just have a quality. So their quality control is we're not, we're not releasing it. Like you said, we're not releasing it at a crappy level. We're just going to give people more time and let them finish it off. And I think that's a big problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think also there's, you know, just an example I can give people about, like, because it is a problem I've had. You know, I keep going, you know, if it's always, and I think I asked the Sony Santa Monica guy this, like, if we always know, you guys say, you know, when a game's coming out, but then it doesn't, like, why can we always predict it's going to be delayed? Like, God of War being an example, which I recently uh, was told the other, uh, not recently, it's, it's a little bit ago, actually, but that... God of War 2 really was going to come out in, what was it, uh, 2021. It really was. I won't say the month because I've been told I can't, but 
it was going to come out later that year. Like it, they had whole plans to release it and marketing and the game was, but for whatever reason, a few things happened. And it wasn't just the actor, by the way. I know people think that, but there was a few things and then it's coming out a year late. Um, you know, I, I don't know. That's just an example I would give to kind of back up what you're saying, I guess is what I'm saying. Not so succinctly, like God of War two was going to come out late 2021 and then it didn't. And it really was, they didn't announce it and expect to delay it based on what I'm told. Yeah, no, I, I heard that as well. And, it, and again, it, it, everything is a logical step, but polishing titles takes time. That stage at the end takes time. Polishing software takes time. I mean, and nothing's ever ready. I said it before. And I think that Sony have a quality level that they won't drop below. And that's good. That is commendable. Um, and I think that even even this launch PS5, there's, there's been a lot of patches from Sony titles very early on in their launch cycle, and that's unlike them. They don't tend to have that many so often. So I think it's hit everybody hard. But Still no free sync, though. It's coming, I know. It's coming. It's literally... No, I, just, right after the Bloodborne <laughs> right, remaster, right, once I'm Bloodborne sure. Bloodborne released, that, it was, it's just been held off so that Bloodborne is as smooth as it possibly can be. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right, I got I got one more question here that's completely unrelated, but it seems like you might be able to answer it well, so I, I got to throw it in. AC666 writes in, he says, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you mentioned you have had or still have a job involving network engineering with Cisco devices. Anyway, if that is the case, could you elaborate on how you see the hyperscalers redefining the position of the merchant silicon vendors or any nascent trends in network switching, especially as AWS has moved to their Nitro Smart NICs? Google has a contract with Intel for Mount Evans, and both Intel and NVIDIA have programmable switch architectures with Barefoot and Envy Switch Spectrum 4, respectively. Thank you for your time. I don't understand half of what he said. Okay. Uh, Wide well, question. So, yeah, he's talking about, um, you know, effectively dynamic QoS load balancing. So, yeah, I do I do a lot of this. So there's not a lot new in, in this kind of method in terms of techniques for, for remote cloud, I hate the word, solutions. But... <laughs> As far as I'm concerned in the market I work in, so certainly the sectors I work in, a lot of everything we do, transactions, chats, everything's a remote packet on a server somewhere. That's just the way we live our lives now. Even you know us chatting now, the YouTube stream. So the big solution that's taken off, the big thing that's working well is hybrid cloud. And it's not nothing clever, um, but it's the most popular method for many of the companies that I work in. So data center migrations is very difficult for companies to get used to. They're not used to moving from, you know, I buy, as he says, I buy a stack of servers, I put infrastructure in my building, I've got a bunch of tin, a load of sands, I connect everything together and it's mine. And if, if I lose my network, I don't lose my business. That's what people are really fe fearful of. And I, you get, I get it, everyone gets it, because if, if you lose access to it, you drop it. So I think a big area that, we're, that, that I certainly work in is, is offering, a, you know, a hybrid cloud solution, which is, effectively giving people the option to move their HR solution, their ERPs, WMSs, CMS, whatever it might be, into a solution that's managed remotely, but it's scalable. So there's kind of two levels of scaling. So the hyperscaler is kind of referenced to going wide, which is what a lot of it does now. So you just stick more and more servers in the same box, mm -hmm. or you just make, you go vertical if you want to make it more powerful. The load balance is the key because it's all around having that single point of entry to say, actually, I've got loads of demand at this point. I need to fire up a load of servers and then blow them away later on when they're done. So the big area that we'll, that, that's, that's taken off is, is not as much hardware-based, although there's always that demand to try and improve CPU speeds, RAM, integrate the NIC, so the NIC being integrated with its own cache so that you're not 
You're not passing data through so many channels to get it processed. That's one area, but I think that's ages away, like quantum computing. Though that's getting nearer. Um, you know, IBM's Eagle CPU, there's, there's definitely targets for that to change over. But I think the biggest thing that we try and push is to try and make that solution transparent and transferable. There's a lot of stuff that I do in terms of deployment when I'm building for, for different companies is to have a, a rapid terraforming on the schematic solution. So you have, you bet you effectively allow the, t the, the company themselves, some of them are quite capable, so you give them a, a remote personal KVM so they can log into their own box. They have a stack of servers and they can build it themselves. They can you know, run onto the, the Linux Red Hat operating system, whatever they might have, and build their own solution. That's very popular. It's popular because it's, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's artificial, but it's artificially giving people the opportunity to use and build their own infrastructure where they feel that it's totally locked down. It's ours. We, we control it. And yes, they do, but it's still in a data set and they're owned by somebody else. Um, but that's, that's been very popular in getting that to market. And I think a lot of companies are going that way, which is effectively offering a solution that means you can buy it from us, but you can expand it with somebody else later. Uh, you don't have to be locked into one vendor. And I think even the competition like, you know, um, AWS, the market leaders and Azure, they're all doing the same thing. They're trying to look at not forcing people to buy that one single solution. So that's certainly one area that's, that's kind of changing the hyperscaler technique in terms of having more people use data centers and potentially have more people build more VMs because their business gets bigger. That, that's, our, that's, that's what we do as a business, certainly, to try and we, we get you in and then we try and say, oh, you need more infrastructure because you're just really popular and then drive it that way. So um, I don't see any huge hardware transitions yet until they get to the point of having CPUs on a NIC. It's a network interface card so that everything's on one place. That's, that's the, the big ticket item. So you're not using all that infrastructure, but... Will probably be quantum computing by then, like I say. Mm. Well, <laughs> I wanted to make sure I got that question in because I knew, despite not being related to the other topics, that you'd be able to answer it well. And this is a rare opportunity for this, you know, uh, fan to have that type of a question answered. So, uh, good question. So, he must work at it himself. Yeah, so he's got directly. an idea of how they work. So, yeah, it's definitely a data center stuff is big. Um, it's just complicated. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, you know, it's the forefront of what all this is, you know, and so you, it's, it's just funny, too, like, how many people don't really follow that stuff, but it's like the stuff they're doing in data center is kind of telling us what we're going to see in everything else in about five years, guys. So, I mean, like, it, it is important to follow on its own. Um, anyways, though, I mean, I guess before I let you go, is there anything else you wanted to discuss about any of the consoles, any upcoming hardware, or, I mean... Anything? Um, no, I'm I'm looking forward to your information on the latest uh, cards from Nvidia and AMD, and certainly the Intel one. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what the art cards do when they come out, and you know why they haven't. <laughs> yeah, when they come out after the Bloodborne remake, probably <laughs> is when Intel's going to launch those. When those cards will actually come out? I mean, in the funny thing is actually in terms of like Lovelace and RDNA three, from my perspective everyone knows what they need to know. We know what the performance is going to be. We know it's going to cost like 30% more per tier probably. And we know it's going to be uh, in quarter three for Lovelace probably end of quarter three and then quarter, early quarter four for RDNA. Three is actually my current estimate. Now, I think there's been a delay from some software thing. But so, I mean, that's it. The specs, you know, I, I will say this at the end here as a teaser, like because I was talking to people in the Discord about this the other day where they're like arguing over the specs and it's just like, well, you know, 
if we got the specs, we could really know everything. And I'm like, I don't think the specs would help. Like, I think most of you don't know what the performance would be from the specs because the specs I'm seeing are radically different than anything we've seen with AMD. Mm -hmm. Lovelace, it's a little more one-to-one, but people need to remember that up until the Ampere release, like reveal day, everyone thought there was half as many CUDA cores as there was. And if we would have known in April of 2020 that the 3090 Ti or, you know, that the top die had 10,752 cores, everyone would have said, well, the 2080 Ti is 4,352 or something. So that means over double the performance. Ooh. It didn't. It was like 50, 60 percent better. So I don't even think telling you guys the specs helps. <laughs> I think it actually hurts because this is radically new architectures. Well, we know, guys, it's going to cost a little more. It's going to be twice as strong. It's going to come at the end of the year. So I think the real question is, is if NVIDIA is going to push it to 600 watts or keep it at 450 watts. That's really the craziest yeah. thing, to be honest, yeah, on that's... the uh, NVIDIA front. Yeah, I read that on your, on your specs thing. I mean, that, that's monstrous. 100%, by the way, over 400. 100%, it's going to be over 400. So New, new PSUs for everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I guess, you know, I, I, the only thing I think is there's no, I think for the 4090, it doesn't matter because it, honestly, people will just get a new PSU for a $2,000 mm. card. But I do think that they have to be thinking that they can't move power usage more than 20% per the tiers below it because you can't ask everyone with a 3070 to get a 1,000 watt power supply. So I don't know. I guess we'll see, though, but it's because they think AMD's going to win, so they're clearly going crazy right now. But it, it is going to be exciting for sure. Um, I guess, you know, before you go, then, make sure you uh, plug your channel or as many channels or products as things as you want to plug. Yeah, no, um, I, I'll, thanks very much. So, yeah, check out NX Gamer um, on YouTube. So that's where I do all my work and videos and analysis of games and technologies. Please do check that out if you get a chance. And also, as I said, I do stuff for IGN as well. So you'll see performance reviews on there. If you've seen the performance reviews of games over the last year or two, that's me. So I also do that work as well. So, yep, check it out. Check out IGN and subscribe to my channel because I could do with more subscribers. It's quite low. So that's something I'll definitely need to work on and get more content on there more regularly. So, yeah, thanks for that plug, Tom. I mean, everyone who listens to this better make sure they're subscribed to your YouTube channel. I mean, link will be in the description and it is always illuminating the games you look at. And it's important to have more than just like digital foundry tests. You need multiple people testing stuff to get accurate, an accurate view. Otherwise I'm just, I mean, you already have people just, like I said, going to these random uploads of like fake benchmarks and they shouldn't be watching that. They should be watching your channel. But, um, all right. Thank you. All right. I want to thank you for coming on again. I think this was an, another very good episode. And, uh, you know, just remind everyone to also subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead. Check. YouTube's been on subscribing people recently. Uh, ring the bell button and subscribe to Broken Silk on your favorite podcast app. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. 
If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it, and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Mellon, Anthony Gareffa, Dale Russell, Jeremy Scallon, Loophole35, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Akwari, Eric Osborne, Jeff Sedler, Andre Jacques, Sarcastro, Terrence Harris, Rita Full, Phil S, D31337, Antics, Jackson A. Miller, Jesse Jaskowiak, Josh Law, Brandon, Travis Gooding, The Canical Philosopher, Gaiman Since Reagan, Batboy Deesro, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Attic, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, F7GOS, Matthew Landavazo, My Name is Nobody, Jensen N. Elethros, Jensen Wang, A There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Rontaro Matsukata, John Jameson, Sam Venzel, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Meyer Techrance, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, 3DS Boy 08, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Sandy Garrido Saunderson, Joaquin Hagen, Tika Adam, Sol Connor, Michael Casa, Delmaine Peterson, Z Jits, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Acker, Hexapuma, Sa- Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Zutsu Taylor, Trevor Powersu, Lenya, Nanya, Daniel Nishbaugh, Franco Frederick, Dane Galanowski, Ian Clifford, Axel Cisneros, Slayton Perry, Joseph Kerman, Brett Summers, Blake, Donovan Russell, Noah Nicoella, Zuki, Matt Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Gillis Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Brucha, Jeremy So, Michelle Pell, Silvanos, Eddie Del Castillo, Jacob Blaster, Luis Correa, Deke, Chris P. Erbakken, Tyler Lindley, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Kayumar Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valcom Oleg, Gabe Lanner, Ronnie, DNA Tech, Michael D. and MJV1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Chrysantine, Mike Sharona, Y. Truly, Roman, William W. Draper, Air Rats, Spamton G. Spamton, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Spray Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amiable Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, James Anderson, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R. Pete Sharma, Mead and Pork, Jimmy MG, Mads, Matthew Lazier, and Benjamin Oshley, Mark Mitchell, Shield TV, Couteau, Aaron, John with Sync, Mohammed, Jean Debont, Pulse Media, Sean Ashmont, Daniel Dewars, Stephen Jang, JSMMH, Georgie Kastadanov, PCBs22, Reginald Ari, Norethio, Ivan, Charles Russell, Hal Buma, Adarsh Adithia, Magrid, Andrew S., Chris Rich, Powell, Zigartowski, Desist, Zabit03, and thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>